I got to tell you a marvelous radio story. For years and years, we always listened to Jack Benny, who didn't. Really the greatest, I think, single performer on radio that ever was. I mean, just absolutely brilliant. He could take ten minutes of dead air and make you fall on your face laughing. And if you remember, Ronald Coleman was always the next-door neighbor of the Bennies. And the Bennies, who were so chintzy and cheap and, you know, never had enough of anything, were always going over to the Colemans to borrow a cup of sugar or egg or something. So anyway, lap dissolve a few years. This shows you how much in love with radio I was. I did a film with Ronald Coleman, and he and his wife asked my wife and myself over to dinner. And we knew where Jack Benny lived. We'd always known where Jack Benny lived. It's one of the sort of landmarks of Hollywood. So we got in the car, all dressed up, went down, went next door to Jack Benny. Went up to the front door next door to Jack Benny, rang the bell and said, Mr. and Mrs. Coleman are expecting us because they didn't live there at all. <laughs> Not at all. Nor did we know where the hell they lived. <laughs> we finally had to call the Screen Actors Guild to find out where the Colemans lived. I always took it for granted they lived next door to Jack Benny. You know? And in his basement was a vault with all those chains around him. Oh, marvelous man. Blue night and you alone with me. And if a sponsor liked the violin player, he had a violin player on his own. The people may not like violin players, mm -hmm. as proven by Jack Benny's career. He was forced into comedy off the concert stage. I didn't mind it when you scraped that overnight bag two weeks ago and called that playing the bees. Yeah. But when you stand here tonight and set that whooping cough to music and call that singing, you're going too far. Oh, you didn't like it, huh? Some Jack kind of always a... referred to him as his nemesis. Yeah, <laughs> he says, well, the nemesis character, because, yeah, I played a variety of things, but they were all the same fella. Yes, sir. Is there anything I can do for you? I beg your pardon? I said, is there anything I can do for you? Yes, we'd like to buy some magazine. <laughs> well, those guys all came up through the ranks, you know. I mean, they knew what they were doing. Because when you were around Benny, you were around the guy that he and Fred Allen and what? guys like that, they're timing. You heard me. Mister, mister, put down that gun. Shut up. Now, come on. Your money or your life? Is it all a dream, a joy supreme? <laughs> Look, bud. I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. Everything was gone over the airwaves. You know, it was sound. And everyone could imagine what a person looked like, mm. what a situation looked like, in their own minds, by sound effects and by the person's voice. So today we bring you a man who was run out of Waukegan, Jack Benny. Thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking. And Don, for your information, I wasn't run out of Waukegan. Merely a request by the city fathers and mine. <laughs> and being a sharp guy.
Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 88. My name is James Scully. Tonight on Breaking Walls, we spotlight the 1945-46 season of Jack Benny's Lucky Strike program. The radio character Jack Benny portrayed was pompous, wimpy, cheap, self-absorbed, conveniently forgetful. In truth, his on-air persona was a fraud, a myth, a creation. Benny had a giant heart, and he was the ultimate joke feeder. The supporting cast got most of the laughs at Jack's expense, and he got just enough comebacks in to keep people rolling on the floors for the better part of three decades. The 1945-46 Benny season was particularly important. Several new characters joined the cast, and one old one returned from the Navy. And thanks to an ingenious marketing ploy, the show enjoyed a sustained rating spike. The campaign was the I Can't Stand Jack Benny contest, in loose conjunction with the final U.S. war bond drive. There were prizes totaling $10,000 in victory bonds. In the three weeks between December 2nd and Christmas Eve in 1945, more than 275,000 people submitted entries. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this show on every podcast platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening theme song is Love in Bloom, originally recorded by Bing Crosby for the film She Loves Me Not. It eventually became one of Jack Benny's signature compositions. If you're on Facebook, join our Wallbreakers Facebook group to keep in touch with news like Burning Gotham, our completely original audio drama series that will be set in antebellum mid-1830s New York City and debut later this year. The teaser is available in this show feed and at thewallbreakers.com. Expect trailers to begin this winter. I'll have news and subscription information in the next six weeks. You can also support these shows for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers. How long brought, were you on for Jell-O? Oh, for a long time, General Flew Jell-O, and then when they had enough of that, we went on. We stayed with them for Grape Nuts Flakes and Grape Nuts and all this and that. And then, I don't know what happened with that. We were on for years and years and years. And then I went with Lucky Strike. I think Lucky Strike made me a, a bigger, better deal, whatever mm. it was, so I went with Lucky Strike. <laughs> Jack Benny began on radio with NBC's Blue Network in 1932 after a guest appearance on an early incarnation of Ed Sullivan's talk show. And I got it through the Ed Sullivan show. 
the sponsor? Uh, the Canada Dry Ginger. They heard me on the Ed Sullivan show, and as soon as that show was over, they called me and uh, made me an offer. What happened was, I was in New York, and Ed said, Jack, why don't you come on my show? He did a sports show or something. I said, what will we do? He said, what will we do? He said, oh, let you and I sit down. We'll write something. So we sat down, and there wasn't much to the show except little talk, but evidently the agency for Canada Dry Ginger Ale perhaps liked my speaking voice, because that's all he could go by. And they made me the offer right away. that, I mean, I'm finally getting paid, which, of course, will be a great relief to my creditors. I, uh, I really don't know why I'm here. I'm supposed to be a sort of a master of ceremonies and tell you all the things that will happen, which would happen anyway. I must introduce the different artists who could easily introduce themselves and also talk about the Canada Dry made to order by the glass, which is a waste of time, as you know all about it. You drink it like it and don't want to hear about it. So, ladies and gentlemen, a master of ceremonies is really a fellow who is unemployed and gets paid for it. It was first called the Canada Dry Ginger Ale Program, then the Chevrolet Program, then the General Tire Show, later the Jell-O Program, and the Great Nuts Flakes Program. In the process, his show became a hit. One thing Benny always insisted on was a built-in comedy commercial. Well, you had insisted on the comedy commercial right from the beginning. Right from the very first show. When you had the sportsmen on the, was it the Lucky Strike program where they came in? That was Jell-O, Lucky Strike, everything, yeah. Well, you wrote most of those, didn't you? With my writers, with my writers, yeah, sure. We wrote every one of them. When we started for Jell-O, the Jell-O commercials saved Jell-O because Jell-O was going out of business almost on account of Knox Gelatin was beating mm. Jell-O, beating the hell out of And so they wanted the comedy commercials, figuring that that could be the one thing that would save it. And by golly, it did. It did. By the spring of 1944, the character and sound effects-driven show had been on radio for 12 seasons. But Benny's ratings had quietly been slipping since 1941. Perhaps it was time for the program to undergo a shift. At the end of the 1943-44 radio season, Jack's contract with sponsor General Foods, makers of Jell-O and Grape Nuts Flakes, was up. General Foods had been sponsoring the program since 1934, but there was a semblance of light tension between the two parties. What couldn't be argued was Jack Benny's influence on Jell-O and Grape Nuts Flakes. For example, Ezra Stone was also sponsored by General Foods. I wish we could have been as successful and sold as much Jell-O as Jack, but we didn't have his vast audience, nor did we have the longevity that Jack had. Benny now had full control of his show. NBC also guaranteed his Sunday night time slot for as long as he wanted it. This position allowed Benny to sell his program to the highest bidder. What happened was, the last year that I was with General Foods. So I had a few shows that weren't as hot. But I still had a lot of great shows. This was in the middle 40s? The so-called famous Jack Benny slump. That You moved from number one to number seven. Or something like that. Or (laughs) or they thought, so they practically said to me, 
watch it a little bit because some of the shows, as though every show had to be perfect, you know. See, I spoiled them. So the minute they said that, and then they went back to New York. Now, they didn't have an option. The thing was over. But they did want to give me a new contract. But the way they said to me, just watch a little bit, I got mad. So I said to my manager, I said, let's get another sponsor. I don't want to be with them. And we wired them on the train as they were going back that we will not be with them anymore because right away I had like four or five big offers from Lucky Strike from everybody and we grabbed Lucky Strike immediately. All of this activity was being watched with interest by George Washington Hill, the president of American Tobacco. Hill asked his young ad man, Sylvester Pat Weaver, about Benny's availability. Benny's management team quietly held a sealed auction for sponsorship beginning the next season. On February 24, 1944, a surprise winner was announced. Ruth Roth and Ryan, agency of American Tobacco's Pall Mall Cigarettes, bid $25,000 per week for three 35-week seasons. The $2.265 million was payable to Benny for all payroll and production costs. There was an additional $200,000 fund for promotional purposes. The agency and sponsor assumed all network and carrier line charges. The advertising community was stunned. The final Jack Benny program for General Foods aired two days before D-Day on June 4th, 1944. Well, folks, this winds up our last program of the season, but we'll all be with you again next fall. Meanwhile, Mary and I and our whole gang want to thank all you listeners for sharing this half hour with us throughout the season. I also want to thank our sponsor, General Foods, for a very pleasant association over these many years. I know Dennis Day joins us in all those sentiments. Benny then took out a full-page ad in Variety, thanking General Foods and their agency Young and Rubicon for 10 years of partnership. Afterwards, he left in August on a three-week USO tour of Australia and the South Pacific. Everything was going exactly to plan for American tobacco. Pat Weaver and George Washington Hill knew no one would take Ruthroff and Ryan's bid for Paul Mall seriously. But had Foot Conan Belding, American Tobacco's agency for its top cigarette Lucky Strike, entered the fray, the attention would have driven up the price. On August 28th, while Benny was away, American Tobacco announced that Paul Mall's sales didn't justify a $25,000 per week expenditure. They were switching sponsorship to Lucky Strike. They then announced a comprehensive multimedia ad campaign for the show. It was estimated to cost $250,000, or $3 million today. Beginning with the October 1st, 1944 broadcast, American Tobacco's Lucky Strike Cigarettes sponsored the program. Gee, Mary, I'm glad you came over to help me straighten out my household expenses. These bills have accumulated all summer while I was away. Oh, Jack, this is Saturday night, and I want to go dancing. Let's go to the Palladium. The Palladium? Mary, with all these bills I'm paying. Gee. 
Jack, it doesn't cost much to go to the Palladium. They charge a dollar and a half for men and 75 cents for women. I know. For you, it's cheap. <laughs> Think of me, a dollar fifty-five just to go dancing. A dollar fifty-five? It's only a dollar fifty. Mary, only a cheapskate doesn't check his hat. <laughs> Now, let's get on with these bills. Okay. There was only one problem. General Foods didn't take Benny's exit graciously and decided to go after its former star, using famed singer Kate Smith to do their bidding. Uh, they gave me a carte blanche. I could do uh, what I wanted to do, and they were so happy about it. After a month, they put it on five times a week instead of three uh -huh, times a week uh -huh. because they were making great inroads into the opposition network, uh -huh. and so they put it on five times a week. And within, I think I told you, within a couple of months, mm -hmm. I had a wonderful sponsor. And for the whole time that I remained in radio, I was never without a sponsor, a big sponsor. By 1944, Kate Smith had become a national institution with 10 top 50 rated radio seasons and countless record sales to her credit. General Foods bought time on CBS opposite Benny's NBC show. The company uprooted Smith's Friday program and moved her to Sunday at 7, directly against Benny, countering with a $170,000 ad campaign of their own. Her first show, running opposite Benny, featured the cast of Can You Top This? Now Kate sings, Good night, wherever you are. Fortunately for General Foods and CBS, the damage to Smith's ratings was much worse. She lost 40% of her audience, dropping to 93rd place in the overall ratings. The following season, General Foods moved her back to Friday, but Kate Smith never again had another top 50 show. Jack had a basic philosophy, if I may divert here for a moment, that Certainly. as I analyze it, it was obvious that this was his philosophy. The bigger he could make the supporting people that worked with him on the show, the bigger it made the Jack Benny show, and the bigger it made Jack Benny. Now, this is a leaf that I don't think any other comedian ever took out of Jack's book, and it was so sound and successful that I'm surprised somebody else didn't pick it up, too. But that was Jack. That was the generosity and the thoughtfulness and the great showmanship that was reflected in Jack's operation in all the years he was on the air. Uh, host Posties, or that is Rose Posties, I mean Toast Posties, present, or present... Hey, get that name right, my confused friend. It's Post Toasties. Post Toasties. Crisp, delicious Post Toasties present the adventures of the Thin Man, starring... Claudia Although he hammered Smith, Damon. Benny was feeling the heat. The Lucky Strike program dropped an additional three ratings points. 
35% of his audience had left in four years. General Foods was retooling for the fall, planning to run The Adventures of the Thin Man on CBS stations opposite the Lucky Strike program. Many Sunday ratings had never slipped below 20 points. The comedian wanted to keep it that way. The show returned from summer vacation on Sunday, September 30, 1945, broadcast live on all NBC stations at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific time. By now, an additional transcribed version of the show was broadcast over NBC's West Coast affiliates like Los Angeles' KFI at 9.30 Pacific time. National Broadcasting Company. Essay operator, can you tell me what's on the air at 4 o'clock today? The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny. Who? Jack Benny. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, Mabel, that's the sixth one today. (laughs) Well, I'm still ahead. I've got eight. Oh, you're always lucky. You won last year, too. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Benny ought to know better than open his program during the hunting season. <laughs> yeah. National Broadcasting Company. Say, operator, can you tell me what's on the air at 4 o'clock today? The Lucky Strike Program starring Jack Benny. Who? Jack Benny. Hey, Mabel. What? This one must have used a knife. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be glad when today is over so I can go home and take off this black dress. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so hard to talk through this veil. Yeah. Hey, Mabel, look at the switchboard. Jack Benny's dressing room is cooling. Shall I take a guide to it, or do you want to get it? What's the difference? He's not going to kill himself anyway. (laughs) Yeah, them that should won't. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, sir? Operator, this is Jack Benny. Operator, with a change of time today, I'd like to check my watch. What time is it, please? It's 20 minutes to 3. 20 minutes to 3? That's funny. I've got 20 minutes to 4. Well, hold on. Mabel, what time have you got? 20 minutes to 5. <laughs> but I've got 20 minutes to 3. No, no, Gertrude. You moved your watch back an hour and you're supposed to move it ahead. Gee, I do dumb. I'm not as dumb as Mr. Benny. He didn't move it at all. <laughs> Operator, I heard that, and I'm going to report you. That Gertrude thinks she's smart. What a telephone operator. She's a lousy dancer, too. <laughs> well, I better hurry and get ready. After all, it's 20 minutes to something. All Rochester's fault. I told him to time change at 2 o'clock in the morning to set all the clocks in the house and my watch, too. Anyway, I better get ready. 
I wish NBC would give me a better dressing room. This tile floor is so cold on my bare feet. <laughs> Now, let's see. Where did I put my... Oh, so you finally got here. Oh, boss! Rochester, you know this is my first program. I'm nervous and excited. Why do you have to be late? Wait, I got 20 minutes to two. <laughs> well, no wonder our watches are all mixed up, and it's your fault. My fault? Yeah, what were you supposed to do at 2 o'clock this morning? At 2 o'clock this morning? Oh, I did that, boss. You did what? I tiptoed into your room and put a hot water bottle on your feet. <laughs> Is that all you did? Well, I must confess, boss, I tickled your toes a little. Oh, was that you? Yeah, and when I saw the way you had your arms around that pillow, I figured you were expecting something. <laughs> Rochester, I always sleep with my arms around the pillow. I know, but last night you looked at it and said, don't you think two can live as cheap as one? <laughs> I, I said that to the pillow? Yeah, then I waited three minutes, and when it didn't answer, I walked out. <laughs> oh, darn, I do the silliest things in my sleep. Imagine talking to a pillow. The debuting telephone operators, Mabel and Gertrude, were voiced by Bia Benaderet and Sarah Berner. I don't think that anybody, a comedian or an actor of any kind, says to himself at any time, I think I'm going to develop a style. I don't think he would know how to do that. I think you just find it. Innately, there's something that you do that you find out works for you. Some comedians talk very fast. They go from one joke to another joke to another joke, maybe topical humor. Now, I discovered when I first started to talk on the stage that that would not have been my style. My style was to talk on a subject and stay on the subject. We never did anything that we thought was going to last. We never framed anything. We never started anything that we said. For instance, I've never gone to my writers and they never went to me. And came to me and said, let's make you a stingy character. Let's make Love and Bloom your theme song. Let's have a feud between you and Fred Allen. See, if we'd have framed all of that ahead of time, it would have never worked out. It always started by an accident. By accident, we wrote a couple of stingy jokes. And then they got big laughs, so we each week or every third week, we would put in a few stingy jokes, and before I knew it, I was a stingy man. Late in the episode, audiences were introduced to Steve Bradley, voiced by Dick Lane. Bradley would play an integral role for the remainder of 1945. Maybe it's just that our binds have No, 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 that's not the case with me. I always give credit where I can... Come in. Uh, Mr. Benny? Yes? My name is Bradley, Steve Bradley. I'm a press agent, and I'm just what the doctor ordered for you. What? I'm going to make people know you. Know me? What are you talking about? I'm on the radio. Everybody knows me. Ah, uh -huh, that's just it. They know you on Sundays, but what about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? 
What? People should be taxed penny conscious all the time, not just on Sundays. Why, what would happen if the smiling Irishman smiled only on Mondays and was a sour sport the rest of the week? <laughs> well, and what a dull gale portion would be if you only faced life on Friday. Yes, that's all very true. I know what's on your mind, Benny. You're wondering if I, Jack, and Steve Bradley, am the man to do your publicity. Well, you don't have to be nervous. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Benny. I'm the fellow who made Madman Munch lose his temper. I'm the guy who cut Minute Rub down to 30 seconds. And I'm the man who made B.O. what it is today. Gosh, you have done a lot of high-class work, but... I don't think you can do anything for me. Why, of course I can. What has B.O. got that you haven't got? (laughs) Well, I'll make the world Benny conscious. I'll have your name on the lips of everybody in America. I'll do as much for you as I did for Sammy Klingenpeel. (laughs) Klingenpeel, that name is very familiar, but... And I'm right, it's familiar, and only because I made the world Klingenpeel conscious. I know, but... Why, two years ago, Sammy Klingenpeel was just another orchestra leader, but then I got a great idea. I said, look, Sammy, lots of people have gone over Niagara Falls in a barrel, but you're going over Niagara Falls in a barrel filled with wet cement. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, I remember... Wait a minute, he got killed doing it, didn't he? Sure, but look at the publicity he got. <laughs> hmm. Gosh, I'll never forget the newspaper space I got on his funeral. 40,000 people attended, and we never even found the body. <laughs> That's wonderful, but really, Mr. Bradley, I don't think I need Now, it. look, Benny, you hire me, and I'll make you famous in every part of the world. In the big cities, in the little towns like Schenectady, Joliet, Salinas, Samarilla, Waukegan, South Bend, Canoe. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Everybody in Waukegan knows me. Well, how do you like that? I'm with you three minutes and you're a celebrity already. (laughs) Who, me? (laughs) Hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe. Well, look, Mr. Bradley, I've never had a publicity, man, so I'll have to think it over. Can I see after the show? I certainly. You think it over, and in the meantime, I'll go out and order the barrel and the cement. (laughs) The what? See you later. A dynamic personality. Maybe he's the kind of a guy I need. How did he impress you, Rochester? I don't know, but I turned gray and he wasn't even talking to me. <laughs> well, I think he's got something. I'm going to talk to him right after the broadcast. See, it's three o'clock by my watch. Turn on the radio, Rochester. Let's see what's on. Okay. In radio, you could visualize everything yourself, like my ball scenes were easier to do on radio than in television. Now, the reason my character sustained so many years, like you say, how could things go on and on? I played a character that included all the faults and the frailties of mankind. See, every family had somebody like me. Either they had an uncle who was stingy or one who thought he was very sexy and he wasn't. So every family has that kind of a person. Charlie McCarthy? Rochester, Dr. Five, I missed my program. And I would see to it that the material I gave them almost fit their characters personally, and particularly their speaking voices. Stop joking. You think that one person in this company would know what time it is? Nearly every good comedian has good timing. 
They couldn't be good without it. Burns has great timing. Ed Wynn had the greatest. Gracie Allen had probably the greatest. She was the great of all time in kinky timing. You have to have real good timing or you can't exist as a comedian. Mary, no! God, let like, go! I simply don't understand it. Of course, the sound is coming from the basement. It's all right, I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what? Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away! Get away! George, get away. no! Are you attracted to the dark? Fascinated by the dramatic? With a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice? If your happy place is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. And remember, at midnight, anything can happen. Rochester because he was always a great performer. Jack wanted to find a porter, you know, like we're coming on the Southern Pacific to Albuquerque or wherever it was, I don't know. All of the black people at that time, which was very scarce because they were struggling, they'd come in and they'd pronounce their INTs and try to be very proper. What Jack wanted was a black man with the greatest humor in the world. For the next couple of episodes, Steve Bradley uses various ploys hoping to make Benny America's biggest star. Then, Jack has a dream the night before a trip to the racetrack. This dream changed the course of history. Gosh, that was the most tiring rehearsal I ever went through. So many interruptions. Uh, I hope I get a good night's sleep. Gee, this bed feels good. Well, I might as well take my shoes off. This little piggy went to market. This little... Oh, I guess I'm too old for that. (laughs) I was 25 for a few minutes there. Uh, Say, I wonder if... Where's the mirror? Say, I don't look so bad with this towel around my head. (laughs) Hmm. 
And she's a variable. Lana's love belongs to me. <laughs> I better turn out the light and get to bed. Yeah, I hope I do well at the track tomorrow. I think Rochester was right. Texas Sam, man, looks like a good bet. Well, there's so many good horses that race, you can't tell. Are you with it? That's a good show bet. Thirty sickles choice. Have you placed your bet yet? Yes, Mary. I bet $85,000 on Challenge Me. And just to ensure it, I bet $2 on Texas Sandman to show. <laughs> I got a hunch Challenge Me is the horse. Who are you betting now, Mary? I put $50,000 on Rinso White. <laughs> <laughs> Better be careful, Mary. A whole week's salary. Oh, you? Jack Love. <laughs> Jack, there's a horse in this race called Buck Benny. Where? Oh, yes, Buck Benny, named after me. Hey, Jackson, who are you betting on the 56th race? Well, I'm thinking of Gypsy Rose Lee. So am I, but who are you betting on? <laughs> well, I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, in the next race, Texas Sandman will run with blinkers and a whip. You must mark that down. Single choice will run with blinkers and a whip. I must make a note of that, too. Buck Benny will run with glasses and a cane. <laughs> Mary, how do you spell cane? Uh, W-L-X-T-Y-G-R. Isn't there an E in it? <laughs> hey, Mary, look, the horses are passing us now on the way to the track. Yeah, and look at poor Busher. She can't be in the race because of a lame leg. Yeah, isn't that a shame? I'm going over and give her a lump of sugar. Hello, Busher, old girl. <laughs> you hurt your little footsie, didn't you, girlie? I'm so sorry you're not in the race. How do you feel, Busher? Lousy. <laughs> Say, Busher, I put $85,000 on Challenge Me. What do you think of his chances? With me out, they've all got a chance. I guess so. Well, goodbye, Busher. I'll see you at Claudette's on New Year's. <laughs> Gee, I'm sorry she hurt her foot there. The horses are all at the starting gate. Steady. Steady now. And they're off. Boy, let them go. Jack tells Steve Bradley of a dream in which he bet $85,000 on a long shot at the racetrack. And in the dream, the horse wins. And so does Benny. 
to drum up publicity. Steve tells the press it actually happened. For a noted tightwad like Jack Benny, betting thousands was as big of a deal to the public as winning. The news spread quickly. And this lie gets Jack in hot water. Let's see. Where's my key? Oh, here. <clears throat> I have to get a longer keychain. This doorknob hurts my stomach. <laughs> There. See, it's dark. Where's the light? Oh, here. Gee, I can't get over. All right, Benny. Stick him up. Yipe! <laughs> Come on, Benny. Get back in your shoes. <laughs> what? What is it? It's a stick up. Now listen, Benny. I want that 600000 you won at the racetrack. But I haven't got it. I didn't win any money. My press agent, Steve Bradley, he put it in the papers. It was, it was just a publicity stunt. <laughs> the joke's on you. <laughs> See? Now stop stalling, Benny. You keep your dough in a vault, and we go down there and get it. Well, I... Get moving, get moving. And right straight for that vault, or I'll drill you. Yes, sir. Would you care for a cup of coffee? <laughs> huh? No. No, Benny, I just want to get in that vault. Yes, sir. Here we are. Oh, I got this gun right in my pocket, so no tricks. Yes, sir. I'll open the door. me, Ed. Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. Uh, who's that with you? Oh, he's, uh, he's, uh... I'm a friend of his. Yes. Yes, Ed, he's a friend of mine. Well, any friend of Mr. Benny's a friend of mine. Come on in, browse around. <laughs> Thanks. I haven't seen you in a long time, Mr. Benny. How are things in the outside world? Well, we won the war, and the, the boys are all coming home. Good, good. I'll bet they'll give General Pershing a great reception. <laughs> no, no, Ed. You see, this Cut is... Cut out a... that chatter, Benny, and open that safe. Yes, sir. Ed, I might as well tell you. This is a gangster, so don't make a false move. Well, any friend of yours, a friend of mine. Hmm. Open that safe. Open that safe. Yes, sir. Let's see. The combination is right to 45... Left to 160. Back to 15. <laughs> then left to 110. 
there. heard anything like that since I broke out of San Quentin. <laughs> look, look, mister. You can see for yourself, I haven't got 600000 All I got in there is $10,000. And I need it. 10000 Yes. Please believe me. The 85000 I bet on the horse was only a dream. Look, that's all I've got. $10,000. You wouldn't take that from me, would you? You're darn right I'll take it. Now, come on. Hand it over. My, this is thrilling. <laughs> Mister, mister, please don't take Hand that. Hand over that ten grain or I'll plug you. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Here you are. All right. Now, both of you stay right where you are. And I'm warning you, don't move. Hmm. I'll go after him, Mr. Benny. No, Ed. Put down that bow and arrow. He's got a gun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. $10,000. $10,000 gone. Darn that Steve Bradley with his publicity. It's all his fault. If I told him once, I told him a thousand times. I said, Steve, it didn't happen. It was a dream. I dreamt that I won $600,000. But no, no, he had to go for his wild, crazy, stupid, Next week, the gang finds Jack sick in bed, recovering from the ordeal. How do you feel, boss? No. It's a whole week now, and the police still haven't found the man who robbed you. Quiet. <laughs> Quiet, Polly. This is all Steve Bradley's fault, a fine press agent. <laughs> Rochester, hand me my sympathy soothing syrup. Please. Your sympathy soothing syrup? Yes, it's in that it's in that bottle over there. The label reads Yatapamus. Sympathy spells backwards as Yatapamus. I know, I know. Doggone boss, I think you're taking too much of those spell backward medicines. Why? You're the only man I know who sleeps with his feet on the pillow. Well, I just thought the change would do me good. Turn on the radio, Rochester. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, there's a happy man in Hollywood tonight. Oh, oh yes, Jack Benice, son of radio and movies, still has most of the $646,000. True, he may have been robbed of the trifling sum of $10,000. But despite his tight one rupture, Jack Benny has taken his loss like a genuine Turn it off, Rochester. Yes, sir. If I told Steve Bradley once, I told him a thousand times, I only dreamt I won that money. He made a big publicity stunt out of it. So what happens? I get robbed. That's what happens. 
I get robbed. It's a happy man in Hollywood tonight. Happy man. <laughs> Polly, quiet. Gee, Rochester, it's awful to be sick in bed. It's so boring. I'm sorry, boss. I've done the best I can to keep you entertained. I know. Here, Rochester. Blow me some more bubbles. <laughs> Go ahead. It's me, man. It's Steve Bradley. Oh, oh, now look, Steve. Yes, I... but it's the greatest thing that ever happened. Your picture's in every paper in the country. Well, the whole nation's talking about you. What other guy would have the good luck to be robbed of $10,000? <laughs> Good luck. Why, I've given you a whole new personality. I've made you the new Jack Benny. You're no longer Benny the type Quad, Benny the skin print, Benny the miser. Benny the miser, Benny the miser. <laughs> Quiet, Polly. Rochester, give him a cracker or something. I'll give him a carnal. That'll keep his mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Now, what were you saying, Steve? I was telling you with all the publicity you're getting out of it, this robbery was the best thing that ever happened to you. It is? I certainly is. You're getting more publicity out of this than if you were signed up to fight Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis? I wouldn't fight Joe Lewis. You better grab him now while he's out of condition. <laughs> oh, stop, will you? Well, get him on line now, Benny. Just drop by to tell you that a reporter from the United Press will be dropping in on you for an interview. A newspaper man? Yes, and remember, Benny, not a word about that dream. Everybody thinks you won that $646,000. You've got to keep him believing it. Now, no matter what happens. So long! Well, maybe he's right. But that other silly thing about wanting me to fight Joe Lewis... I'm not in condition either. <laughs> Gee, if, if I... <laughs> Polly. Polly, please be quiet. Please. Daddy's sick. <laughs> Rochester, get me my... Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Do you look bad? Thanks. Fine thing to say to a poor, sick man. Oh, Jack, don't be so irritable. Well, my goodness, Mary, you'd be irritable, too, if you were robbed of $10,000. But it's only money. You don't have to be so upset about it. I'm not upset. Then why don't you take that wreath off your door? I didn't put it there. Anyway, Jack, you're still ahead $636,000. Why worry about $10,000? I'm not worrying. Rochester, go in the kitchen and get some plates so we can serve the fruit Miss Livingston brought. But, Jack, I didn't bring any fruit. Hmm. You knew I was sick. <laughs> well, Rochester, bring some fruit anyway. What have we got? Grapes. Grapes? Good, I'll have sick. <laughs> how, uh, how many will you have, Mary? I'll have... They're the, the large ones. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Rochester. Bring him in. <laughs> okay, boss. I better bring a couple of spares. <laughs> oh, Jack, I got a letter from Mama this morning. You did? Well, what does the baby schnook of Plainfield have to say? <laughs> Go ahead, Mary. Read it. <clears throat> My darling daughter, Mary. The whole family listened to Gabriel Heater's program the other night and was so thrilled to hear about Jack winning all that money. Please send us all the details as we didn't hear the finish of the program. The owner came back and made us get out of his car. <laughs> Serves him right for sitting in Mildred's Piers. <laughs> hey. Hey. Oh, boy, Mildred's Piers. <laughs> oh, boy, that's a good one. 
Gee, little red spear. I must save that for the program. I'll have Rochester put it on ice. <laughs> Go ahead with the letter. Your sister, babe, has given up her job in the tuna cannery and gone back to her first love, the stage. Oh, fine. She's working at the local theater, and when she heard about Jack winning all that money, she got so excited she fell off the runway. I knew she could do it. <laughs> Your Uncle Lou would like to know if Jack would invest some of his winnings in his new invention. Invention? Your Uncle Lou has developed an explosive more powerful than the atomic bomb and has had one successful experiment. However, he needs money for a new factory as the old one hasn't come down yet. What a guy. We'll close now with love from your mother, Leilani Livingston. We pay track odds. We pay track odds? Uh, Mama used her business stationery. Oh, what a corny letter. Say, Mary, turn on the radio and see what's on, will you? Okay. <laughs> Mildred Spears. Oh, boy, that was a humdinger, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm as restless as a willow in a windstorm. I'm as jumpy as a puppet on a string. I'd say that I had spring fever. Accompanying Larry Stevens was Phil Harris's orchestra. Phil joined the program in 1936. His character, developing into a boozy, know-nothing wise guy. And like I say, I was terribly disappointed because I had brought the band all the way from New Orleans and found out that they're using Wayne King Instead of me, on the Burns show, I don't even think that Jack was even aware of that. If he was, I never found out about it. And I spent 16 or 17 of the most beautiful years of my life with him. A man who was one of a kind. I think everyone would agree with you. Well, what the hell, he proved that. Like Benny used to have office hours in Beverly Hills. Those writers had to be there, didn't they? They were there at a certain time. He sat at the table. Nobody took bits home like they do now. You do this and you two writers do. No way. You sat right at the table and started this thing. And I've been in there sometime. Jack and I, we really got along. And I've been in there sometime when they had a line for me to break the building down. Mm -hmm. And Benny would say, no does not fit his character. I've been too long building it up. In other words, he protected, protected. Rochester, answer the door. Answer the door, answer the door. I heard the man! <laughs> <laughs> that parrot show gets on my nerves shooting off his mouth. I wonder if a Mickey Finn works on birds. <laughs> oh, well. Well, hello, Mr. Harris, Mr. Wilson. Hello, Rochester. Hello, Roch. How's the high command? He's feeling a little better, I think. Here's his room, gentlemen. Now, don't excite him. 
Well, hello, boys. Hello, Mary. Hiya, Livy. Hello, Jackson. Feel any better since you lost that 10,000 bucks? <coughs> hey, Jackson, you better watch that cough. You might get pneumonia. Pneumonia? Yeah, I had to leave school once on account of pneumonia. I couldn't spell it. <laughs> oh, Harris, you ought to be twins. You bring such joy to these shut-ins. You... <laughs> Phil, I'm sick enough. Mary, pull the cover up a little, will you? I feel like I'm getting another chill. Say, Jackson, if you're having chills, I know the very thing for you. What? A rum flip. No, Phil, I don't think I want any. Well, they're really great. You see the egg in it gives you strength and the sugar gives you energy. What does the rum do? It gives you ideas about what to do with the strength and energy. <laughs> and it seemed like Mel Blanc, nicknamed the man of a thousand voices, used every one of them on Benny's show. Like Polly the Parrot and Flanagan the soused detective. I more or less kept the comedy for Jack in the program. See, I did his train caller, his violin teacher, his Maxwell, his, the man who was uh, always the salesman in the, at Christmas time in the department store, and several other voices for Jack. What was that famous voice then at the railroad station? I think that seems to be one of the most Oh, popular. yeah, that was the train caller. It says, train ending on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Kamanga. You know, a lot of people thought those were phony towns, but those are real towns around Los Angeles. Yeah, I found out after I made a few wrong turns since I've been out here. (laughs) One sound, I might tell you. Jack Benny was supposed to be visiting Epsom Downs in England, the horse races. And uh, the scriptwriters always tried to throw me with something. They tried to put something in that I couldn't do. And this time they put in, Mel Blanc does an English horse whinny. Now, how can you tell the nationality of a horse, you know? So I didn't say anything, and I waited till it came to that spot, and I did an English horse whinny that sounded like this. Well, I guess the Benny was, uh, that was probably your most exposure in all the radio, wasn't it? Uh, uh, yes, it was, uh, yes. But the beauty of radio was the fact that you could do more than one voice. On television, where they see you, you have to more or less do just one character. Wants to talk to you alone. A detective? Yes, sir. Here he is. Oh. Come on, kids. We'll go out in the kitchen and make some coffee. Okay. Did, uh, did you want to see me, sir? Yeah, Mr. Benny. I'm Inspector Flanagan. Uh, you was robbed Saturday night, so they put me on the case to ask you some questions. Oh. <laughs> well, come right over here, Inspector, and sit down by the bed. Thanks. Hmm. <laughs> It, it, it must be tough for you to follow anybody. <laughs> now, uh, what, uh, <coughs> what do you want to know, Inspector? Uh, wait till I get out my pencil. Uh, there. Now, where was you on the night of June the 23rd? June the 23rd? What's that got to do with it? I don't know. We always ask that question. <laughs> oh. Uh, now, this mug, what stuck you up? What did it look like? Well, he had one cauliflower ear, his nose was broken, a big scar across the right side of his face, and a large mole on his chin. Any identifying marks? (laughs) Next, Hmm. Benny fearing for his life, hires ex-heavyweight boxing champion Joe Lewis as his bodyguard under the guise of teaching him how to be a comedian. Just a minute. Okay, Benny, you asked me. What? I told you what had happened if you blabbed to the cops about me sticking you up, and now I'm going to give it to you. Take that. Ooh. And that. Ooh. Joe. Joe, he's beating me up. Fight with him. Oh, I can't fight with just anybody. Who did he ever lick? 
out now. Squeal on me, will you, Penny? Take that. Oh, another nosy, another nosy. <laughs> Polly, you're supposed to be on my side. Take that. Oh, and that. Oh, Joe, Joe, please don't just stand there. Please do something. But, Mr. Benny, I can't fight with uh, no one. He would have to get a reputation for himself. Well, he doesn't have to get it on me, for goodness sake. Look, take that. Out! And that. Oh, stop! And that. Stop! Joe, help me. I'm warning you for the last time, Benny. The next time you open your mouth to the cops, you're going to get more than this. Yes, sir. And just so you don't forget it, take this. Oh. Mr. Oh. Benny. Mr. Benny. Get up and go to your corner. <laughs> Mr. Benny. Mr. Benny, get out. Well, if you don't, there's only one thing left for me to do. One, two, three, four. Benny's ratings, too, were getting off the canvas. In November, the show's 21.7 was fourth overall behind Bob Hope, Fibber McGee and Molly, and Edgar Bergen. The following week's show... November 18, 1945, was broadcast for the troops at Birmingham General Hospital in Van Nuys, California. I just did odds and ends with him. There's no, no particular part. One day, the boys wrote a yes in, and I happened to stretch it a little, and it got a laugh. And the next week, uh, I was on again, and they said, let's try that thing again. And I said, well, what do you mean, what thing? They said, well, you know, you kind of stretch the yes, and it got a laugh. Let's, let's see if it works. And that's, that's really the way the character began. And then they'd write things like, oh, and I'd uh, see what I'd do with it, and uh, well, and uh, I, I just did the gimmick thing with it in each case. I mean, it was just a, a voice thing, and uh, so the character became a regular on the show, and I was with him all through the years. And Mr. Benny, I'm ready now. Would you like a close shave or a light shave? What's the difference? With a light shave, I take one step back. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Just shave me and get it over with. Oh, what's that now? Come in. By Thanksgiving weekend, Jack is still seething about his stolen money when Steve Bradley walks in on him getting a shave. That I won $600,000 at the racetrack, and you and your publicity made everybody believe it was true. Yes, yes. And then what happens? I get robbed of $10,000, the same man comes back and beats me up. Yeah, but Benny, I... And then you, you put a detective on the case who doesn't know Greenberg from third base. <laughs> Why shouldn't I be mad? <laughs> what are you laughing at? Oh, the whole thing was a frame-up. I hired a man who robbed you of that $10,000 so it hit the newspapers, and you'd get a lot of Publicity? Publicity? You mean that... I certainly, Benny. That crook was just an actor, and I gave him 200 bucks to rob you. Yeah, but how about him coming back and beating me up? And don't worry about it, Benny. He threw that in for nothing. <laughs> All right, Steve. Stop being funny and give me my $10,000. Not so fast. I got another great idea. Steve, I've had enough of your crazy ideas. Now give me my money. Now, wait a minute, Benny. This idea's sensation. It'll sweep the country. Nothing like it has ever been done before. Now, Steve, just a minute. I've got an idea for a contest. And we'll give away your $10,000 as prizes. You're going to give away my $10,000? Put down that razor, Benny, and listen to me. <laughs> all right, all right, but talk fast. I can't tell you all about this contest till next week. I've got to get all the details wiped out. But believe me, Benny, it'll be the most sensational thing you ever heard of. This will be the best way I've ever spent your money. But Steve, Steve. Tell on, Benny, so long. I'll see you next Sunday. Hmm. I never saw such a guy. What kind of a contest can that be where I'll have to give away prizes that'll cost me $10,000? Well, I'm not going to worry about it. That fall, Jack Benny and three of his four writers, Sam Perrin, 
Milt Josephsberg, and John Tackaberry were trying to come up with a story arc that could take them into the new year. They were kicking around the idea for a music contest when the fourth writer, George Balzer, suddenly chimed in. Well, I remember George Balzer telling me this story, you know. George, I see quite frequently. He was one of the top writers on the Jack Benny show and a great comedic mind. He wrote so much of the Benny show, the really great things. And they were trying to come up with an idea for the following week's program. And they were just groping and couldn't come up with something fresh and some new idea. The other three writers and Jack were sitting there and George said, wait a minute. Why don't we have a contest? Why I hate Jack Benny? The other three writers looked at him. Oh my God, you've got to be out of your mind saying that in front of Jack. And Jack just sat there, you know. All of a sudden he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That is great. Well, we got 12 shows out of that. K-F-I, Los Angeles. Spellbound. David O. Selznick presents Ingrid Bergman and Gregory Peck in the screen's most masterful achievement in suspense, Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound. See Spellbound today, Grauman's Chinese, Low State, Fox, Uptown. The Jack Benny Program, presented by... LSMFT, LSMFT, LSMFT. That's right. You bet. And how? Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. At 49, American. Yes, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Here's what Mr. Joseph Cuthrell, independent tobacco auctioneer of Kinston, North Carolina, said. No cigarette is any better than the tobacco that's bought for it. And at market after market, I've seen Lucky Strike consistently buy fine tobacco. Tobacco that is sweet as a nut, better aroma, thoroughly ripe and thoroughly mellow. So when it comes to my own cigarette, I naturally choose Lucky's. Yes, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco... Lucky strike. The Lucky Strike program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Larry Stevens, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you the star of our program, a man who has successfully run the gamut of show business from A to Z, Jack Benny. Thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, that was the nicest introduction you've ever given me. Sunday, December 2nd, 1945, was the date of the big announcement. I never saw anything like it. Every time I leave the house, something happened. What happened now? A delivery truck got loose on my front lawn and broke about a hundred-quart bottle. No! No, Jackson! No! No! 
Phil, it was milk. Oh. <laughs> I knew it wouldn't worry you too much in there. Anyway, when I get home, I've got a lot of things. Oh, come in. Hi, buddy. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. It's me, Bradley. Steve Bradley. Well, Steve, it's about time you got here. I've been up in the air all week about this contest idea of yours. Now, will you hear this? Sit down, everybody. Sit down. Let me do the talking. Now, about this contest, Benny, this is the greatest thing to hit radio since L.S. was introduced to MFT. <laughs> all right. All right. What is it? Uh, pardon me. How do you spell MFT? Quiet, slide. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. All right, listen, Benny, and listen carefully. Yes, yes. What's the contest? I'm coming to that. Now, for years, programs have been having contests. They ask the listeners to write letters on why I like this, why I like that, why I like so-and-so, why I like such-and-such. People are tired of that stuff. I got something brand new, something that people will enjoy. All right, what is it? We're going to ask people all over this country to write in letters in 25 words or less. Yes? Telling us why they can't stand Jack Benny. (laughs) What? (laughs) Steve. Steve, would you mind repeating that? Gladly. We're going to ask people to write in letters finishing this simple sentence. I can't stand Jack Benny because... Steve Steve, look at me Look at me Have you lost your mind? Have you gone crazy asking people to do that? Why, people like me They love me Now, wait a minute, Betty, wait a minute What? How many people listen to you every Sunday? Well, about... About 30 million And how many people are there in the United States? Well, about a... A hundred and thirty million? There you are. That means that a hundred million people don't like you. (laughs) What? A hundred million people don't like me? And that's only in this country. (laughs) But, Steve... Steve, you mean to say that a hundred million people don't like me? A hundred million and one. Huh? Don't let this smile fool you. Slob. How do you spell fool? Sit down! Yes, you Benny, this contest will sweep the nation. But, Steve, gee, I don't mind if people write in letters why they like Jack Benny, but you've got that awful phrase in there, I can't stand Jack Benny. I mean, can't stand is too hard. Hey, Jackson, how about despise? You stay out! <laughs> Mary, Mary, you talk to Steve, will you? Tell him how crazy this whole idea is. I, I can't do a contest like that. Well, wait a minute, Jack. Maybe it's not so bad. At least it's different. But, Mary, all those people saying they can't stand me. Well, look at Fred Allen. He's been saying that for years. <laughs> well, he knows me. I mean... <laughs> I mean... Alan, he should know better. But, Jackson, there are a lot of other people that feel like Fred Allen does. Certainly. Now, this will give them a chance to put down on paper what they've been thinking for 14 years. And for that, for that, I should give away $10,000? <laughs> I've got an old bridge lamp I'm not using. I mean, wouldn't that be... No, no, Benny, it's got to be $10,000, and what's more, it's going to be in victory bonds. Oh. Well, I, I, I like the idea of victory bonds, but... 
Oh, Mary, I can't go through with a thing like this. Why not, Jack? I think it's a wonderful idea. Me too, Jack. I like it very much. I love it, but it's too easy. (laughs) I I don't know what to do. I mean, mean, it's so horrible. Steve, give me the details again, will you? All right, listen. People write in letters. I can't stand Jack Benny because in 25 words or less. Do you think they can get it all in in 25 words? (laughs) Yeah. All right, then I'll write 50 words. 50 words? Well, that lets me out. (laughs) I don't know. This this sounds so ridiculous. $10,000 for writing a letter... I can't stand Jack Benny because... Jack, put down that pencil. You can't be in it. (laughs) Can't they write it in on dollar bills or something? (laughs) Well, if I'm going to give away victory bonds, I've got as much right to try and win as anybody else. Anyway, I'm not going through it. Oh, yes, you are. Go ahead, Wilson. Read that announcement I gave you. But, Steve, let's talk it over a little more. Too late for that. Go ahead, Wilson. Read it. Okay. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this contest is actually taking place and starts right now. But, Steve... Now, listen closely. Here are the details. To enter this contest, all you have to do is write a letter completing this sentence in 50 words or less. I can't stand Jack Benny because... But, Don... $10,000 in victory bonds will be awarded for the letters containing the best stated and most convincing reasons. Mary, do something, will you? Quiet, Jack. I'm taking this down. Oh. I'm sorry. The first prize will be $2,500 in victory bonds. The second prize, $1,500 in victory bonds. The third prize, a $1,000 victory bond. Look. And there are 50 additional prizes of $100 victory (laughs) bonds each. These are all par-value bonds. They're worth their face value when you receive them. Look, how can I go through with this? All letters become the property of Jack Benny, and no letters will be returned. The decision of the judges will be final, and the supreme judge will be the Honorable Fred Allen. (laughs) Fred Allen? And his decision will be final. Oh, no. No, I mean, how, how can they do this to me? I'm really a nice guy. I grow flowers, I, I, I pat little kids on the head, I give milk to cats. How can they do this to me? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this contest is open to everybody except the employees of the American Tobacco Company, its agents, the National Broadcasting Company, and Jack Benny's relatives. My father will kill me. This is awful. I mean, I... All you have to do is complete this sentence in 50 words or less. I can't stand Jack Benny because... Oh, my God. Then mail your letter to the Jack Benny Contest, Hollywood 28, California. Remember, the Jack Benny Contest, Hollywood 28, California. This contest is subject to all federal and state laws and regulations. The termination date of the contest will be announced on a subsequent program. Oh, wait a minute, Don. Suppose there's a tie. Yes, Steve, suppose there's a tie. That's impossible, Benny. People can't stand you for different reasons. I know. In case of a tie, duplicate prizes will be awarded. Duplicate prizes? (laughs) Mary, Phil, say something. Okay, play, boys. I ought to have my head examined. How do you spell examine? Oh, sit down! (laughs) 
The contest was in loose conjunction with the 8th and final U.S. war bond drive. The drive took place from October 29th through December 8th, 1945. The victory bond effort was part of a renewed public service marketing campaign to help sell these U.S. bonds which accrued interest for 40 years. Ads appeared in newspapers and periodicals. Radio, long a patriotic organ, did its part to help. Over 400,000 American men and women had lost their lives in World War II. More than 671,000 were wounded. With these victory bonds, Americans could make sure their wounded countrymen and women would be cared for. The goal was $11 billion, more than $21 billion, or over $285.5 billion today, and 192% of the goal was raised. Well, we did have a lot. We had Gary Cooper, we had Loretta Young, and of course Ronald Colvin, when he came on. Most of the big top film stars would fight to get on the Jack Benny show, knowing that they would be the star, and they would have great material, and they would love to come on the show. As a result, that's why he'd get some, you know, we didn't have them... As a regular ba- on a regular basis, but he would get people like the stature of a Gary Cooper or uh, Ronald Coleman. And they just love being on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, last Sunday, Steve Bradley, Jack Benny's press agent, forced Jack into having a contest. You listeners were asked to write in letters completing this simple sentence, I can't stand Jack Benny because... And believe me, folks, the letters have been pouring in. <laughs> so let's go out to Jack's house in Beverly Hills, where the whole gang is helping Jack open the mail. Hmm, just look at all those letters. I don't know why I let Steve Bradley force me into this contest. It's only been on a week. I bet I've received over a million insults already. <laughs> Jack, stop exaggerating. You haven't even received half a million insults. I have, too. Oh, don't be so egotistical. <laughs> Never mind, Phil. Just keep sorting those letters. (laughs) Mary, what are you laughing at? Here's a letter from a lady right here in Los Angeles. A letter from a lady? What does she say? She says, um, I can't stand Jack Benny because he's got the only house in Beverly Hills without mice. If they can't stand him, how can I? (laughs) She just made that up. My house is full of mice. Oh, there. I won't give her a prize, believe me. Well, Mr. Benny, here's a letter from Senator Claghorn. Senator Claghorn? Yeah, he's on Fred Allen's program. Oh. What does the senator say, Larry? He says, I can't stand... I say I can't stand Jack Benny because he's so corny when he sits down to dinner, he butters his ears. <laughs> hmm. His ears, that is. <laughs> what? That's a joke, son. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> You're letting them get past you tonight. Now cut that out. (laughs) I don't care anything about him. About him, that is. (laughs) Now let's let's open. Hey, Jackson, look, here's a letter from a guy who likes you. Likes me? Jack, have you been writing in? (laughs) No, I haven't, and don't be funny. You know, there are people who like me. 
Go ahead, Phil. Read that letter. Okay. Now, where's the place? Oh, here it is. I think Jack Benny is the most big-hearted man I know. Big-hearted? Yeah. See? Phil, that's pig-headed. <laughs> I had to tell him yet. Oh, Rochester. Yes, boss? Are you reading any of the contest mail? Yeah, lots of it. Good. You know, boss, two more letters and I'll be convinced that I'm working for the wrong man. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Rochester. A lot of these letters are very nice. Of course they are. Listen to this one. I can't stand Jack Benny because he's such a spendthrift. See? Read that again, Mary. I can't stand Jack Benny because he's such a spendthrift. Signed, Sandy McGregor. <laughs> Oh. And there's three cents due on it. <laughs> three cents due. That guy's tighter than Don Wilson in an armchair. <laughs> now, kids, we've been all working pretty hard. Uh, uh, Hello, Polly. Hello. Hello. Now, kids, I know we've been working pretty hard, but let's try and... Oh, boss, a... don't forget you got a dinner engagement tonight. Yes, I know, I know. A dinner engagement? Where are you going, Jack? Oh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman invited me to dinner tonight. They live right next door, you know. You invited to the Coleman? Yes, what's so strange about that? We've been neighbors for about 12 years. Of course, for a while, my success in pictures sort of came between us. <laughs> you see, uh, Coleman wanted the lead in The Horn Blows at Midnight, but they they gave it to me. You see, at his age, they uh, didn't want him to stay up that late. <laughs> <laughs> What are you giggling about? <laughs> I saw the picture, and you should have gone to bed earlier, too. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Can't stand Jack Benny. What? <laughs> Polly, you can't enter the contest. You're a relative. <laughs> anyway, Mary, I better hurry. If uh, Ronnie and Benita took the trouble of sending me an invitation, I don't want to keep them waiting. Hey, Jackson, look, you mean they sent you an invitation and they live right next door? Well, that's the dignified thing to do. You know, I think that dignified stuff is put on the way Coleman keeps giving out with that phony English accent. What are you talking about? Ronald Coleman's English accent isn't phony. It isn't, huh? Well, I happen to know that he was born in London. <laughs> Bill, Bill, where do you think London is? It's right near Waxahachie, Texas. <laughs> Phil, I know about the London and Texas, but it so happens that now, see, now there's a London in England. Oh, Len Lease, huh? <laughs> yes, we get it back in 1956. What a guy. Say, Jack, I'd like to see that invitation you got from the Coleman. It's right here in my pocket. And I wish Rochester would be a little more careful with the mail. Fortunately, I found it lying out on the back porch. Uh, let me see it. Here, here it is. Hmm. Dear Jack, glad to know you are safely back in America. Benita and I would love to have you for cocktails and dinner Sunday evening. We'll expect you around 8, Ronald Coleman. There you are. But what does he mean, back in America? My trip, my trip overseas last summer. Oh, yeah, I still can't understand it. Say, boss, you better start getting dressed. It's 7.15. All right, Rochester, lay out my clothes. Okay, do you want your tuxedo or your tweed, twill, garbadine, handbone, serge, Palm Beach, flannel, plaid, corduroy, worsted? Well... Uh... Jack, I didn't know you had so many suits. It's all one suit. <laughs> <laughs> one suit? Yeah, Taylor was here, left his book of samples, and Mr. Benny hates to see anything go to waste. <laughs> 
Rochester. Hey, Jackson, if you wear that suit, you'll look like the man who came to dinner and got a lot of it on you. Don't worry about it. Rochester, the Coleman's always dressed for dinner, so lay out my tuxedo. Boss, you better not wear that tuxedo. It's awful tight on you. Never mind. I'm going to wear it anyway. Okay, but if you bend over, you're going to have a white Christmas. (laughs) Now, be careful. Now, uh, go in the other room and lay out my clothes. Okay, which shirt do you want to wear? The plain one or the one that lights up and spells L-S-M-F-T? <laughs> the, uh, the plain white one tonight. That's good. The battery's down in the other one anyway. <laughs> well, I have to go through just to get dressed for a dinner engagement. Come in! Oh, hello, Don. Hello, Jack. How's the contest going? Fine, fine. Come on in, Don. And... Say, what's that sticking out behind you? An armchair. I couldn't get it off this morning. <laughs> oh, then I was right. <laughs> Jack, uh, how about the contest? <laughs> have you really been getting a lot of mail? Oh, certainly. You ought to see some of the letters, Don. People have so many reasons why they can't stand Jack, and we haven't even heard from Mama yet. <laughs> Your mother can't be in it. Say, Jack, a couple of contest letters came to my house, too, and I, I brought them over. Good. Here's good. one I'd like to read to you. It's from J.P. Wilkinson of Goldsboro, North Carolina. Now, what's he got to say? Here it is. I've been smoking Lucky Strikes for 25 years because I live down here where they grow the tobacco. And I've seen Lucky's year after year buy the finer, the lighter, the naturally milder tobacco. Shona? <laughs> As you all know, LSMFT stands for Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. The draw, that is. <laughs> now, now, we all know that, but what's this letter got to do with the contest? Oh, I, I'm coming to that, Jack. It's in the P.S. Oh. Here it is. I can't stand Jack Benny because he's made of the sadder, the weaker, the naturally cornier jokes. Don, that letter's more than 50 words, so it doesn't count. (laughs) Well, I gotta go and get dressed, kids. Where are you going, Jack? I'm invited to Ronald Coleman's house for dinner. You are? Well, what's so surprising about that? I've been invited to the best homes in Beverly Hills. Only last week I was a guest at Gary Cooper's birthday party. If you were a guest, why did you have to wait on tables? (laughs) I... I just did that for a gag. A gag, huh? Then why did the guests put tips under their plates? They did that for a gag, too. Then why did you keep the tips? I can go along with a gag, sister. (laughs) Now, you kids finish sorting the mail. I gotta run upstairs and get dressed. Come on, Rochester! December 9th's broadcast featured the debut of two big-budget guest stars, Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. Ronald Coleman, a classical dramatic actor, was at first reluctant to perform. He wasn't sure how he'd do in comedy. The idea for the couple came after a November broadcast. Jack always met with his writers and producers directly after the conclusion of each show. That evening, Jack said, Wouldn't it be funny if I went over to the Colemans for a party? And I wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place? And just like that, they were paid $6,000 per appearance. Oh, Ronnie! Ronnie, where are you? Right here in the library, Benita. Hey, darling... 
Shouldn't you be dressed? You know, we're having a guest for dinner. A guest tonight? Who? Well, you remember? Jack. Jack Wellington from London. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I forgot. <laughs> Good old Wellington. Then you did mail him the note I wrote. No, I couldn't find the note anywhere. I think it must have blown out of the window. Well, I phoned him instead. He'll be here any minute. Oh, splendid, splendid. Well, aren't you going to dress? Oh, no, no, not for Wellington. No, this turtleneck sweater is all right. He likes informality. Oh, then I won't bother either. I say, look, could you come and help me choose the wine for dinner? Yes, in a, in a moment, dear, as soon as I finish this letter. Now, let me see. I can't stand Jack Benny because... <laughs> You're not entering that silly contest, are you? Oh, I certainly am. But, Ronnie, why? Well, I don't particularly dislike Jack Benny under normal conditions, but... But for victory bonds, it's not too difficult. <laughs> but, darling, he's our next-door neighbor. Well, I know. Well, think of the advantage that gives us. <laughs> All the other people just hear him on the radio. But we can look out of our window and get enough reasons to win all the prizes. Well, I suppose you're right. Well, just this morning, I heard Mr. Benny shouting at that valet of his. Um, what's the valet's name again? Oh, you know, um, it's the same as a city in England. Uh, Liverpool? No, no, no. Uh, Manchester. Oh, yes, yes, Manchester, yes. Anyway, Mr. Benny was shouting at the top of his voice about his coffee being weak. And Manchester was shouting back something about he'd been telling him for years that you were only supposed to use the coffee grounds once. <laughs> That's a promotion. Yes, I've heard some of those sessions. But they're mild when you compare them to the ones with that Phil Harris fellow. Phil Harris? Yes, the way he comes up the sidewalk every morning yelling, Okay, Jackson, don't be a mug. Harris is here, so bring out the jug. <laughs> what a remarkable fellow. Say, doesn't he, uh, does he have some connection with Jack Benny's program? Oh, yes, I understand he leads the orchestra. Oh, he's a musician. No, no, he just leads the orchestra. <laughs> I beg your pardon, Mr. Coleman? Uh, yes, Sherwood? Uh, Mr. Jack Wellington has arrived. Oh, good, good. Oh, come on, Ronnie. Hello, Jack! Wellington, old boy. Well, hello, Ronnie. Yes. Benita. It's so nice of you to have me over for dinner. I came direct from the tennis court. I hope you don't mind my being in just slacks and the slipover. No, of course not. We hate formality. Tell me, Benita, what are all those mailbags doing in front of the house next door? Oh, that's Jack Benny's house. He's running a contest. Jack Benny? Isn't that the fellow that's on the wireless? Yes. <laughs> you know, I just can't stand him. He's Wait, so... wait, wait. Don't say it. Don't waste it. Write it down. Write it down. <laughs> what? Well, that's the contest. Now, we'll tell you about it later. <laughs> you Americans do have a peculiar sense of humor. <laughs> well, come on, Ronnie. Get behind the bar and mix us a cocktail. All right. I beg your pardon, Mr. Coleman. Yes, Sherwood? There's a, a gentleman at the door to see you, sir. Here's his card. His card? Huh. Jack Benny, star of stage, screen, and radio. 
And we'll sing, Oh, Promise Me at Wedding. <laughs> Has own tuxedo. But Jack Benny here... What in the world could he possibly want? Maybe it's about his lawnmower. Remember, you borrowed it. Yes, but I returned it. Well, maybe he wants to give, uh, give you back the deposit you left on it. <laughs> well, Sherwood, look, tell him I'll call later, and uh, we'll have a, we have a guest for dinner. Uh, but, Mr. Coleman, he said that you were expecting him for dinner. For dinner? Benita, did you invite Jack Benny for dinner? No. Are you sure you didn't? Well, I'm positive. I say, Ronnie, is this the eccentric chap you were telling me about that's having the contest? Yes. Well, his coming here is obviously a mistake, but we may as well make the best of an awkward situation. Uh, Sherwood, show Mr. Benny in and uh, then set another place for dinner. Very good, sir. Follow me, Mr. Benny. Uh, thank you, thank you. May I take your hat, sir? No, no, this is the collapsible type. I just fold it up and put it in my pocket. <laughs> As you wish, sir. Well, well. Hello, Ronnie, Benita. Uh, hello, Jack. Uh, come in. Yes, yes. Come in. We're just about to have a cocktail. Uh, Mr. Benny, this is our friend Jack Wellington. Pleased to meet you, old chap. Well, I didn't expect anyone else to be here, but that's just like the Coleman's. Always room for one more. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, the cocktails are ready. A toast. Benita, your health. Wellington, happy days. Benny, good luck. <laughs> Too hard. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to break the glass. Though. Oh, and that set was 150 years old. Well, I'm glad I didn't break any of your new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just sit here and read a magazine while you three go and dress. <laughs> I'll wait. Huh? Oh, no, no, Jack, old boy, this is just an informal gathering. Oh, oh. Uh, Mr. Wellington, uh, you're from England, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am, old fellow. Yeah, tell me, Wellington, how are things over there? Well, it's very exciting right now, getting things going again, especially recently with the new elections and all. Yes, I'd love to get away to England if my schedule would permit. I'd like to be there in the spring. Yes, at that time of the year, everything's so beautiful, especially the Thames. Yes, the jolly old Thames. I always take them whenever my stomach's upset. <laughs> They're, uh, they're very good, you know. Benita, are you sure you didn't invite him? I'm positive, darling. Oh, Benita, I remember your suggesting that I reread Charles Darwin's Origin of Species. I found it even more elevating on the second reading. That's true in so many cases. I've just reread the H.G. Wells' Anatomy of Frustration. Well, I'm rather a dull scholar. I'm just starting on the outline of history for the first time. Uh, have any of you noticed the frightful mess little orphan Annie's in? <laughs> the poor little blighter. <laughs> yes, sir. Yup. 
Friday, 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 Friday. Of course, Benny makes a fool of himself at dinner, and the feeling awkward Coleman's can't wait for him to leave. Well, it's getting kind of late. Oh, my goodness, I didn't realize what time it was. My, yes, it is getting rather late. It's only 9.30. <laughs> yes, sir. Yup. <laughs> that time marches on. Yes, sir. Yup. <laughs> well, I guess I better be running along. Time for me to go home. Uh, good night, Mr. Wellington. Very happy to have met you. Good night, old boy. And with my luck, we'll probably meet again. <laughs> Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, good night, Benita and Ronnie. I had a lovely time. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome, I'm sure. Yes, we were happy to have you. Thank you. I'll show you to the door, Jack. Thank you, thank you. Well, good night, Ronnie, old boy. I had a swell time. Say, I'm awfully sorry about Wellington. Wellington? What do you mean? Oh, I know you're loyal to your friends, but... Isn't it awful the way a guy like him can throw a damper on a party? <laughs> you know, Jack, there's a lot of truth in what you say. <laughs> You're telling me. Huh? Well, goodbye. I'm not out yet. Oh, oh. Pardon me. Well, good night, Ronnie. Good night. Gee, they're nice people, the Coleman's. That Wellington seems to be a nice chap, too. I can't understand him just dropping in uninvited. Oh, well. Oh, darn it, I dropped my gloves. Hmm. Hmm. Can it be the breeze that fills the trees with Jack Benny's show was really quite easy to do. I'm talking now from the actor's standpoint. Obviously, the writing was meticulous. Jack honed a lot of that writing. He sat with the writers a great deal. Mm -hmm. He, uh, if it came down to a rock-bottom decision as to a joke in or out, it would be very often Jack's decision that made uh -huh. that happen. But for an actor, it was a very simple show to do. You'd go in, we'll say on Saturday, you'd read through once. Just sit down, read the script straight through, get up and leave, and you'd come back in on Sunday, you'd read once around the table, go and read it once on the mic, and that's all until showtime. Just that easy to do. So the whole uh, thing was really right in there with the writing. It well, was it was that, that and also <laughs> that Jack knew his people, and they wrote for those people. Mm -hmm. Jack had a great thing that I don't think any other comic in the business had. If you were to pick up a Jack Benny script and read it, you'd say, well, wait a minute, where, where are Mr. Benny's jokes? Because Jack didn't do jokes. He did looks. He did takes. He fed, really, you the actor around him. That's mm -hmm. the way he conducted his show. The big jokes were in the hands of the people who surrounded him, which was most unusual. And it showed that he had tremendous confidence in himself. He surrounded himself with characters that people expected to hear also. When yeah. as soon as he said, oh, mister, people said, oh, boy, here it comes. He's going to get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if he said, 
excuse me, and the fellow said, see? He says, oh boy, here it comes. Yeah. Now they're going to do that routine. The people were in on it, and I think they enjoyed being in on it. I guess the fact that the show stayed on top all the years that it did proved that. in uniform. Yeah, what are they, soldiers, sailors, or marines? They're mailmen. <laughs> mailmen? Sure, haven't you heard? Jack Benny's running a contest. I can't stand Jack Benny. Well, neither can I, but what's a contest about? <laughs> That's it. I can't stand Jack Benny because there's $10,000 in prizes. No kidding. I even sent in a letter myself. You did? What did you say? Oh, plenty. When I got through, I had to wash out my fountain pen with soap. <laughs> Life boy yet. Hey, I'm going to call up my wife and tell her to write a letter to Benny right now. Wait a minute. Why don't you do it yourself? Oh, if my wife calls him half the things she calls me, she can't lose. <laughs> Jackson, there's the doorbell. I heard it, Phil. Rochester. Rochester, answer the door. I can't move, boss. The ladder's up to my knees. The ladder's isn't so high. It ain't, I'm sitting on a horse. The contest was working. In December, the program's ratings climbed to a 24.8, its highest in 21 months. I'm coming. I'm coming. See, how can I... Am I going to get to the door with all those letters? In the mid-1940s, Jack Benny's program featured a lineup of some of the most quick-witted comics with the most well-built characters in entertainment. Eddie Anderson played Rochester Van Jones and his incredibly popular valet and one of the first African-Americans to have a regular role on network radio. Joseph Kearns was Ed, the keeper of Jack's underground money vault. Child actress Janine Roos played Phil Harris's young daughter. Don Wilson was Benny's longtime announcer, while Frank Nelson played Benny's arch nemesis. If it wasn't Mel Blanc popping up, it was Nelson. Oh, are you the mailman? Well, what do you think I am with this pack on my back? An early Santa Claus? <laughs> saw a guy that does so many things. Huh? You and your contest. Well, can I help it if so many people can't stand me? Besides, what are you griping about? You got over 200 letter carriers helping you. I know, but it wasn't easy getting them. What? We have the only post office in the country with a draft board. <laughs> now, look, don't you shout at me. See those four stars on my shoulders? Well, what does that mean? I'm a postmaster general, silly. <laughs> shouldn't have asked him. Now, look, will you please stop with all this? Quiet. A message is coming in on my walkie-talkie. Flight commander to control tower. Flight commander to control tower. We're circling Beverly Hills. Please give instructions. Over. Control tower to flight commander. You're approaching the target. Drop down to 500 feet. Open the bomb bay. Wait a minute. What is this? Airmail, you old-fashioned fool. <laughs> He'd been on the air since May of 1932, and for almost that entire time, Jack Benny had been seconded by the sarcastic Mary Livingston, played by Benny's wife, 
Sadie Marks. During the 1945 holiday season, Benny also used his program to bring awareness to the social and economic issues created by the end of the war. His genuine nature, behind the scenes, always helped the public's perception for the causes that he was championing. Ladies and gentlemen, thousands of thoughtful and grateful Americans are giving Christmas presents to hospitalized servicemen this year. There's one important thing to think of in selecting a gift. It should be appropriate. How can we determine what's appropriate and what isn't? By consulting the camp and hospital committee of your local Red Cross chapter. They'll tell you what types of gifts will best fit the needs of the men. And please remember, if you're mailing the present, do it by December 10th or earlier, if possible. Jack Benny will be back in just a minute, but first, here is my good friend, L.A. Speed Riggs. Americans, Christmas of 1945 was one filled with joy, relief, and remembrance. There were still thousands of soldiers overseas. At home, returning soldiers helped create a housing and food shortage. Even with the socioeconomic issues, all throughout that December, the gloom of the war was being lifted. With Christmas Day in 1945 on a Tuesday, President Truman declared Christmas Eve and Day to be national holidays. Many Americans had a long weekend with family. The I Can't Stand Jack Benny contest was also drawing to a close. Letters needed to be postmarked by the 24th of December. On December 23rd's show, Jack was host to a holiday dinner party in the Coleman's honor. The entire cast was there. Uh, Jack, do you want to come in the dining room and see the table looks all right? Uh, in a minute, Mary. I'm busy. Play your violin tonight. I am too. <laughs> the Coleman's are pretty high class people. They don't go places just to eat. Now let me practice. <laughs> I'll have to get a new string. That was a door buzzer. <laughs> oh. oh. Oh, oh, say, maybe that's the. Never mind, Rochester, I'll get it. Yes? I was all from the floor, ladies and gentlemen, all to help out the two. I said, I was going to go. Oh, oh, yes, you're the English butler I ordered. Have you had much experience at oh, serving? Yes, yes, I'm the butler in England, so that you're going to be able to go to the floor. Well, good, good. Uh, go right, go right, go right in the kitchen and get started. Uh, what's your name? Butler <laughs> Flew. What? What was that? Butler <laughs> Flew. Oh, 
Well, tonight, tonight, I'll just call you Nottingham. <laughs> Jack, who is that? It was the uh, it was the English butler I hired for tonight. I'm go- I'm calling him Nottingham. Uh, do you think that's English enough? Uh, why don't you call him the White Cliffs of Dover? <laughs> no, no, that's too long. Uh, maybe hey, I. Hey, ought- Jackson, why don't you call him Heathcliff? Heathcliff? Sure, you're trying to pull a bluff. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Filthy, they ought to hang you up instead of your stocking. <laughs> you can say that again. Oh, oh, that must be the Coleman's now. I'll get it. No, no, Rochester, that's why I got the English butler. Uh, Nottingham, uh, answer the door, please. No. <laughs> Good evening. Mr. Benny is expecting us. Oh, come on, come on, come on. I'm called the waiting room. LAUGHTER uh, what was that? Oh, come in, sir, come in, sir. I haven't called the waiter for the drawing room. Oh, you're the fellow who sells the tobacco. <laughs> oh, Ronnie, Ronnie, Benita, I'm glad you came so early. Hello, oh, Jack, old oh boy. So good of you to have us over. Oh, it's a pleasure indeed. Nottingham, take Mr. and Mrs. Coleman's hat, coat, and canoe. <laughs> You know, Jack, I just made an awful mistake. I didn't know you had a second butler. Oh, yes, yes. He's English, you know. But his English accent is so thick. Well, he's been there twice. (laughs) Uh, twice, you know. Well, if he ever goes back again, he'll choke to death. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, Come, uh, come, let's go into the drawing room. By the way, Mr. Benny, where is Manchester? What? What did you say? Uh, where is Manchester? Oh, oh, Manchester. Well, you go out Sepulveda Boulevard. You call the city. You turn left at the no, second no. traffic no, light. No, Jack. Uh, Jack, Benita means Manchester, your butler. Oh, oh, that's Rochester. Rochester. Let Nottingham do it. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Benita, my butler's name is Rochester. He's in the cu- uh, kitchen getting the grub, getting dinner ready. Uh, come, let's go into the drawing room. I want you to meet my associates. Here we are, Mr. and Mrs. Coleman. This is my radio cast. How do you, How do, you do? do? How do you do, Mr. and Mrs. Coleman? Hiya, Ronnie. Benita, what do you hear from the tea and crumpets? <laughs> well, you know, Ronnie, he's Phil's such an unruly blighter. <laughs> You should excuse the expression. (laughs) By the way, Ronnie, I have a little surprise for you this evening. I also invited your friend, Jack Wellington, to dinner. Wellington, splendid. Did you hear that, Benita? Yes, isn't that nice? Uh, Sit down, folks. We'll have cocktails in just a few minutes. I hope you'll pardon the way my house looks, but I've been so busy opening mail. Oh, that reminds me. How is your I Can't Stand Jack Benny radio contest coming along? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Of course, it ends tomorrow night. So, Benita, if you want to get your letter in, be sure it's postmarked before midnight, December 24th. You know, Jack just received a citation in Congress because of all the national unity his I Can't Stand Jack Benny contest is promoting. (laughs) Was that national unity? Yes, it's the first time in history that the Republicans and Democrats agree on the same thing. (laughs) Yes, sir, that's me. (laughs) Yep. Oh, Ronnie, 
look at that Christmas tree. Isn't it beautiful? Yes, it certainly is. I suppose you folks have a nice Christmas tree, too. Well, we bought a nice tree, but while we were driving home, a peculiar thing happened. <laughs> yes, Ronnie made a sharp turn, and that's the last we saw of it. Oh, oh, that's a shame. Well... How about some cocktails? Um, uh, what what would you like, Ronnie? Oh, nothing right now, thanks, Jack. But after dinner, perhaps a little B and B. Oh, so well, I for dinner I always have an S and S. S and S. Now, what's that? Half soda and half sympathy soothing syrup. <laughs> yes, it's awfully good. Hold this, please, Wellington Royal. What? Oh, he must mean that Wellington is here. Oh, come right in. Come right in. Hello, Benny, old boy. Ronnie Benito. Wellington. Mr. Benny told us you were coming. Uh, Mr. Wellington, this is my radio gang here. It's Mary, Phil, Don, and Larry. Oh, 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 Well, we're all here now. Hey, Wellington, you lost half your glasses. Phil, that's a monocle. like Rochester, Phil Harris, Don Wilson. We only had about a page and a half of dialogue on the show. But you better believe that it was the best dialogue mm -hmm. that possibly could be written. Because Jack knew it was good for himself and for all of the characters on the show. No matter how many laughs, he was very happy with all the laughs you might get. And uh, at, when the show was over, many people would say, hey, did you hear Dennis or did you hear Phil Harris on the Jack Benny show last mm -hmm. night? It was still the Jack Benny show because he was the catalyst who manipulated mm -hmm. the whole thing. The jokes bounced off of him. He was the butt of most of the jokes. And we got the laughs, but it's still, he uh, was a genius in that sense. Jack Benny was ending his year on a high note. At the inception... He'd expected the contest to generate no more than 20,000 letters. They received over 277,000. NBC had to hire a staff of 12 women to sort the mail. Folks, let's all have a cocktail before we go into dinner. Oh, that's fine. And Jack, if you don't mind, I'd like to propose a toast. Of course, Ronnie, we'd love to have you do it. 
I propose a toast to the world. A world which has just survived the bloodiest and costliest of all human conflicts. A world which was so nearly led back to the dark ages of oppression and slavery by cruel and greedy men who traded in hate. It seems impossible that there could be any more suffering than mankind has just endured. But it is possible, and it will happen, if we lose sight of the lessons so bitterly learned. Let us remember that men everywhere are our neighbors, and their right to life and freedom is as precious to them as ours is to us. So here's a toast to all the people in the world. May we, by working together for a lofty purpose and with God's help, achieve the goal that mankind for 20 centuries has striven for. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. In January, this staff would eliminate all but 100 letters. These 100 submissions were given to the preliminary judges, film actor Peter Lorre and writer and radio actor Goodman Ace. Thanks again to Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman and their friend Mr. Wellington for spending the evening with us. And I and my whole gang want to wish everybody everywhere a very Merry Christmas. Good night. It was their job to whittle the submissions down to 50. Those 50 submissions were given to the head judge, Fred Allen. This is Ali Silva of Fireside Mystery Theater, coming to you at a time of great peril. Some fiend has tied me to a rope dangling just a few feet over a giant boiling cauldron of... What is that? It smells like gazpacho? But gazpacho is supposed to be served cold. Oh, whatever. Why would I put myself in such a situation? Because we at Fireside Mystery Theater will do whatever it takes to create exciting audio drama. Enjoy our acclaimed anthology series of original eerie radio plays, performed before a live audience by a full cast of magnificent actors and a crew of amazing musicians and technicians. Just go to FiresideMysteryTheater.com for show listings, info about us, and links to our podcast. Take a listen for yourself today and find out why our podcast is among one of the top audio drama series out there. Oh, brother. That villain is cutting my rope. Well, that must mean my time is up. So tune in and subscribe to the Fireside Mystery Theater podcast. Oh, and be sure to mind the shadow! Snow played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. Now, ladies and hey, gentlemen... Hey, Jackson, come on. How about paying me that dough you owe me on the Rose Bowl game? Bill, I told you I didn't see the game. But, Jack, you said you went to the Rose Bowl. How come you didn't see the game? Well... I'll tell you, Don. He wouldn't be interested. Yes, I would. What happened, Mary? Oh. Well, Jack had tickets for the game, and he told Phil and me to meet him in front of Tunnel 16 at 1.30. 1.30, 1.30. What Well, when Phil and I got to the bowl, Jack wasn't there yet. So we waited and waited. You should have seen the crowd down there. The 32nd Rose Bowl was played in Pasadena, California, in front of 93,000 people on New Year's Day, 1946. The Alabama Crimson Tide defeated the USC Trojans, 34-14. to 14. Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman, fresh off starring in The Bells of St. Mary's, were the special guests of the game. Jack started 1946 as usual, 
by squelching Mary, on a bet. Mary, look. Here comes Jackson and Gladys now. Gee, Gladys, I never saw you look so nice. You're sure pretty when you get all dialed up. Thanks, Speedy. <laughs> I mean it. Boy, am I lucky I met you. Ain't it the truth? <laughs> That's fate for you. You know, I'd never have met you if I hadn't been hungry that night. Gee, I'll never forget. I was driving along looking for a place to eat, and I drove right past Ciro's and the Trocadero and the Macambo. And it was just fate that made me turn into Simon's Drive-In. <laughs> and there, like a vision of loveliness, you came toward me. Gee, you smelled so good. Yeah, it was chicken gumbo night. Uh-huh. 25 cents a bowl. A meal in itself. Oh, look, Gladys, there's Mary and Phil. Well, here we are, kids. Gladys, you know Mary, don't you? Sure. Hello, Mary. Hello, Gladys. Gee, that's a pretty fur. Did you trap it yourself? <laughs> I should say not. Speedy ran over it on the way out here. Gladys. Hit it again, Jackson. It's still wiggling. <laughs> Don't be funny. Gladys meant that it slipped off her shoulder and ran over it accidentally. Didn't you, Gladys? You tell him, big boy. You got the lips for it. <laughs> yeah. Come on, kids. Here's our gate. Let's go in. Tickets, tickets. Hold your own stubs, please. Here you are. Oh, hello, Gladys. Hello, Eddie. What's the special tonight? Beef soup and boiled potatoes. <laughs> oh, come on, Gladys. Forget business for a while. Okay, Speedy. Here's Tunnel 16 over this way, Jackson. Now, let's stick together. Say, Gladys, you still work at the Shamrock Cafe? No, I'm back at the drive-in. Speedy thought I ought to be outside where it's healthy, yeah. You're darn right. What's the use of being in California if you can't enjoy the sun? Yeah, but I sure wish I could get off the night shift. <laughs> you will, honey. Just save your tips. That's all. I do, but every time I get a little ahead, you want to go to a movie or something? <laughs> Well, it won't always be that way. Hey, look who's here. Hiya, Gladys. Happy New Year. Same to you, Lefty. Lefty? Hmm, you know everybody, don't you? That's Lefty Flanagan. What a sport. He always orders a la carte. <laughs> don't talk to him. But Lefty's a big tipper. Oh. Hiya, Lefty. <laughs> now, let's see. Where do we... Hey, look, there's a hot dog stand. Let's make with a mustard. Yeah, want a hot dog, Gladys? I'm not hungry right now. You can get me one when we're inside. Better get one now, Gladys. You know Speedy. That's Speedy. <laughs> this episode marked the first Lucky Strike program appearance of a hot dog vendor who would eventually be called Mr. Kitzel. Yes, sir. Pickle in the middle and the mustard on top. Just the way you like him and they're all red hot. is coming up. <laughs> Our, our, how much are they? Uh, three cents a piece. Three cents? Uh-huh. Why do you sell them so cheap? Taste them. <laughs> oh, say, do they look, say, they do look like pretty tough weenies. Tough, <laughs> What suitcase handles they would make? <laughs> 
they still look good to me. Give me four. Yeah, what kind of mustard do you want on them? What kind? Well, I got strong, mild, and Christmas night. <laughs> oh, mild, I guess. Okay, here you are. Four hot dogs covered with mild mustard. Thanks. Gee, they're kind of messy. Haven't you got some rolls to put them in? With rolls, it's five cents. With pickles, it's ten cents. With relish, it's 15 cents. And with my cabinet of soda, you couldn't afford it. <laughs> well, just give me the roll. Here you are. Here you are. Thank you. Pickle in the middle and the mustard on top, just the way you like them in the roll. Here you are, kids. Take your hot dog. Thanks. Gee, I'm thirsty. What are we going to drink with our hot dog? Here you are, Gladys. Put that back in your pocket. <laughs> now, let's go in. Stubbs, please. Let's see the numbers on your stubs. Here you are. Right this way. Just follow me. At... Oh, hello, Gladys. Why, hello, Nick. How are things? Fine. I'm on parole now. <laughs> come on. Come on. Show us our seats. Hey, listen to the cheering section. Say, these seats are okay, aren't they, kids? Yeah, right on the 40-yard line. Hey, Jackson, care to make a little bet on the game? Okay, Phil, you take Alabama, I'll take USC. Hi, pal. Hey, is this seat taken, old pal, old pal? <laughs> Oh, great. Look, mister, how about sitting someplace else? No, thanks. I never touch it. <laughs> mm, this would happen to me. How much do you want to bet, Jackson? How much do? Any amount you say, brother. Just name it. Okay, 50 bucks. $50? Okay, it's a bet. We must be sitting higher than I thought. <laughs> Don't worry, I know what I'm doing. Peanuts, popcorn, chewing gum, peanuts, popcorn. Hello, Gladys, chewing gum. <laughs> oh, hello. I'm going to say, Gladys, must you say hello? Quiet, quiet. I don't want to hear the game. The game hasn't started yet. No, thanks. I never touch it. Gee, they're a husky bunch of fellas. Yeah, listen to that crowd. Here they come running right past us. Hello, Gladys! Gladys! Now, look, I... The boys on the USC team always eat at the drive-in. They voted me Miss Pigskin of 1945. I don't care what they voted you. Gosh, what a crowd. Yeah, I'll bet there's 90,000 people here. Oh, that's terrible. 90,000 people without a home. What are you talking about? This housing shortage is terrible. Look, they've got homes. They're here for the game. Oh, you're just saying that because I'm your pal. You're not my pal. Hell, I never saw you before in my life. No, thanks. I never touched it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I always have to. Hey, Jackson, look, here comes the Alabama team. Hey, those Alabama fellows look pretty good, don't they, Gladys? They sure do. Hello, Gladys, you all. <laughs> Gladys, you all. That's the last straw. I'm leaving. I'm not even going to stay and see the game. And let me tell you something else, Gladys. You and I are through. Our engagement is broken. Goodbye. But, Speedy, if you're breaking our engagement, what about the ring? I'm not giving it back to you. <laughs> Goodbye. I love the violin so much. 
that if there were such a thing as a miracle today, and God came to me and said, Jack, you know, he knows practically everybody. <laughs> You're smarter than I am. <laughs> if, if he said, Jack, starting tomorrow, I will make you one of the world's great violinists, but no more will you ever be able to tell a joke, I really believe that I would accept it. That's a tough thing to say, isn't it? When you've been getting laughs all your life, that's how much... You would really like I, That's how much I actually love the violin. Just about one year ago, Jack Benny started on a trip to New York. He rushed down to the Union Station to find out about the chief or the super chief. But the only information he could get was... Train leaving on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga. <laughs> Last summer, Jack went to Germany to entertain our boys in the armed forces. As he waited for connections between Berlin and Nuremberg... He heard a voice say, <laughs> Two years ago, when Jack was on a lonely island in the South Pacific, he was hiding behind a palm tree, watching the natives do their tribal dance. Suddenly, one of the natives spied Jack behind the palm tree. He advanced toward him with a sharp bolo knife. It was a tense moment, as the native said. Got any gum, chum? No. So now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man who just last week was appointed honorary mayor of these three California cities, Jack Benny. Thank you, Don, and thank you... Isaac Stern once said to me, he says, you know, Jack, when you walk out in front of a symphony orchestra in white tie and tails, and your violin, you actually look like one of the world's great violinists. It's a damn shame you have to play. <laughs> this is Fred Allen in New York. I know you've all been waiting for the winners of the I Can't Stand Jack Benny contest, so here they are. The first prize, wake up, Mr. Benny, this isn't a dream now. The first prize, $2,500 in victory bonds, goes to Mr. Carol P. Craig, Sr., 735 Radcliffe Avenue, Pacific Pal uh, Palisades, California. The second prize, $1,500 in victory bonds, goes to Mr. Charles S. Doherty, Hotel Bolton Square, Cleveland 6, Ohio. The third prize, a $1,000 victory bond, goes to Miss Joyce O'Hara, 1014 Dragoon Avenue, Detroit 9, Michigan. The additional 50 winners of the $100 bonds will be notified by telegram and the bonds sent registered mail. P.S. If Mr. Benny should deliver any of these telegrams personally, 
please tip him generously, ladies and gentlemen. He's been through a terrible ordeal, I am happy to say. Good night, folks. On the January 27th, 1946 broadcast, Fred Allen revealed the names of the I Can't Stand Jack Benny contest winners on the air. The following week, American violinist Isaac Stern was the guest star of the Lucky Strike program. This episode is considered one of the all-time best. Who are you talking to? Oh, some sailor. His boat just anchored at Hollywood and Vine. <laughs> well, here we are, Mary, at the Philharmonic. How do I look? Mm, certainly dress swanky for the concert. White tie, top hat, and a bag of peanuts. Well, I thought you might enjoy something after the show. You know? <laughs> now, let's go in. But, Jack, the main entrance is around the corner. I know, but I got to go backstage and see Isaac Stern first. Come on. I wonder where his dressing room is. Maybe it's around here somewhere. This, this must be it right here. Come in. Uh, Mr. Stern? Yes, I'm Isaac Stern. Uh, Mr. Stern, this is Miss Livingston. How do you do? How do you do? And I'm Jack Benny. Jack Benny? Yes. Uh, you see, when I heard you were giving a concert in Los Angeles, I sent you money for two tickets, knowing that you'd get me the best seats available. Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Benny. I have the tickets right here. Here you are. Thanks. Wait a minute. These tickets are $1.10. I distinctly remember sending you... I did my best, Mr. Benny, but the house was sold out, and they didn't have any more seats available at the price you requested. Oh. So I added 30 cents of my own money and... <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Mr. Stern. I hope I didn't impose on you too much. You see, you being a concert violinist, naturally, I felt that we have something in common. <laughs> yes, sir. We have something in common? Uh, yes, Jack's violin has four strings, too. <laughs> Mary. Mary, please. Jack, give Mr. Stern the 30 cents you owe and let's go. Oh, yes, yes. Just a minute. There you are. 10, 20, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Uh, there you are, Mr. Stern. Thank you. Okay, Jack, put on your shoe and let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Goodbye, Mr. Stern, and thanks for getting my tickets. You're welcome. Goodbye. Come on, Mary. Tickets, tickets, please. Hold your own tickets. Here you are. Thank you. Stairway to your left, please. Come on, Mary. Oh, Usher, where are these seats? Uh, stairway to your left, please. Come on, Mary. Oh, Usher. Usher, where are these seats? Yeah, let me see. Uh, row A, seats three and five. You see that last aisle over there? Oh, yes, yes, good. Well, take the stairway right next to it. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. God, what a climb. Oh, Jack, I can't go on. Give me another peanut. <laughs> 
Here you are. A washer. Yeah. <laughs> are these... <laughs> are these seats in this balcony? Yes, right over here. Gee, this is awfully high, isn't it? We used to think so, but now they can reach us by radar. <laughs> Don't be funny. Just show us to our seat. Just follow me. Here you are. Your seats are right here. Thank you. Say, these seats are all right, Mary. I can relax and put my feet up on the railing. And you better take your hat off. The spotlight will burn a hole through it. <laughs> I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Say, Mary, we may be in the top balcony, but at least we're in the front row. Can you see the stage all right? No, but I got a wonderful view of Catalina. <laughs> That's a painting on the wall. Here, have a peanut. Gee, there's sure a lot of people here tonight. Yeah, this place is certainly... Hey, Mary, look. Look way down there. Isn't that Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman? Where? Way down there below us, to the left of that cloud. <laughs> Ronnie, weren't we lucky to get such good seats? Well, we certainly were, Benita. Well, I do hope Mr. Stern plays the Mendelssohn Concerto. Well, now, let's see. He's going to play a sonata by César Franck. Then, uh... oh, yes, here it is, the Mendelssohn Concerto. And he follows with La Campanella by Paganini. Which one of those numbers do you like the best? Oh, it doesn't make any difference to me. I just came here to get away from chickory chick chala chala. <laughs> that I know he won't play. No, Jack, that isn't Mr. and Mrs. Coleman. I'm sure it is. Oh, Ronnie! Ronnie! Benita! Yoo-hoo! Jack, Jack, everybody's looking up at us with their binoculars. Let them look. They're jealous because we know the Coleman. Oh, Ronnie! Ronnie, yoo-hoo! Ronnie, isn't that Jack Benny up there trying to get our attention? Yes, it, it's embarrassing, but don't look up. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we should at least wave to him. After all, he is our next-door neighbor. Benita, that is a situation which the housing shortage prevents me from doing anything about. <laughs> much trouble to attract your attention. He's dropping little bits of paper. <laughs> he's dropping peanut shells. Uh, if he spits, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> oh, what, what's he doing way up there anyway? Well, perhaps his doctor recommended a higher altitude. <laughs> Where he's sitting is cheaper than the Alps. Mm. It's higher, too. Yeah, so it is. <laughs> well, anyway, dear, he won't be throwing any more peanuts. Oh, how do you know? I just got hit on the head with the bag. <laughs> Remarkable. He must be using a Norden bum site. Isn't that awful, Mary? I just can't seem to attract their attention. Oh, Ronnie! Ronnie, Benita, yoo-hoo! Jack, don't lean so far over the rail. Ronnie! Yoo-hoo! Isn't it awful? He just won't give it up. I beg your pardon, sir, but I think there's somebody trying to get your attention. No. My attention? Yes, that man up there hanging from the rail by his heels. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. You know, Benita, I thought that the horn blows at midnight would keep him home for a couple of years. 
Well, then, I guess some people don't know when... Ronald, what was that thing that just fell in your lap? Oh, for heaven's sake. What is it? A toupee. <laughs> a toupee. Do you think it belongs I'm to... afraid so. Look at the laundry mark. <laughs> L-S-M-F-T. And, and look what it says right... Uh, look what it says right below it. If lost, will finder, please read the lost and found columns in the Beverly Hills newspapers. The article in question will be referred to as a cocker spaniel with a cold nose and a part on the side. <laughs> oh, look, Ronnie. They're starting to dim the lights. Oh, darn it. I almost had their attention. Oh, look, honey. They're starting to dim the lights. Don't get fresh, mister. I happen to be here with an escort. Mary, it's me. It slipped off. <laughs> Well, put your hat on, you look awful, and be quiet. The concert's about to begin. Yeah, here comes Isaac Stern now. $10,000 per episode for guest stars to appear on the show. The Colemans were already booked at a fee of $6,000. Benny, hearing that Stern was in Los Angeles, booked him for the show. Stern's fee was $5,000, putting the program $1,000 over budget for guest stars. Jack paid the extra thousand himself without ever telling Stern. Ready for your coat? Uh, boy, here's my check. I oh, know you don't, Bob. I was a... Ronnie! Uh, Jack, Jack, old boy. What a surprise seeing you here. Yes, yes. Wasn't the concert wonderful? It certainly was. And I loved the Mendelssohn Concerto. Well, I did too. However, I felt that he had just a little too much pizzicato in the andante. <laughs> uh, didn't you? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> Well, it sounded that way by the time it got up to me. <laughs> Here's your coach, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. 
Well, good night, Jack. My best to marry. Good night, Ronnie. Give my love to Benita. I will. Oh, by, by, by the way, Jack, did you lose a cocker spaniel? <laughs> Why, yes, yes. Well, don't worry. Here, Lassie has come home. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye, Ronnie. You know, Benita, I think that's one of the finest concerts I ever heard. It's absolutely wonderful. Give me a cigarette, will you? Of course, I have some right here in my overcoat. Oh, I had some when I... I say, this isn't my coat. There must have been a mix-up at the cloakroom. Are you sure? Yes, I'm positive I had... Certainly, look at the label. Why, this is Jack Benny's coat. Jack Benny's? Yes. Oh, well, tomorrow they will have to... Well, Ronnie, what are you looking at? Huh? Oh, oh, it's this address book I found in Benny's coat pocket. Address book? Yes. You know, he's always boasting about his influential friends. Well, listen to this first name. <laughs> Gladys Zibisco, Gladstone 0338. Gladys Zibisco. Mm. Here's a note he's written alongside her name. It says, do not kiss too hard, has pivot to. <laughs> And, and listen to this next name, Marcella Fink. And then he has in parenthesis, approach from the right. She's left-handed. Oh, he has such interesting friends. Oh, what's that folded sheet of paper that just fell on the floor? Well, oh, Benita, look, it's, it's one of his contest letters. Oh, you mean the I Can't Stand Jack Benny contest? Yes, and there's a little notation on it that says... This letter was written by Carol P. Craig, Sr., and won first prize. First prize? Oh, Ronnie, I wondered what the winning letter was right. Read it, please. All right. It says, I can't stand Jack Benny because he fills the air with boasts and brags and obsolete, obnoxious gags. The way he plays his violin is music's most obnoxious sin. His cowardice alone, indeed, is matched by his obnoxious greed. And all the things that he portrays show up my own obnoxious ways. Now, you know, Benita, that's very clever. Yes, it has such a good thought behind it. Yes. And all the things that he portrays show up my own obnoxious ways. You know, Benita, maybe the fellow that wrote this letter is right. The things that we find fault with in others are the same things that we tolerate in ourselves. That's so true, Ronnie. It certainly is. Isaac Stern was accompanied by Alexander Zakin. Jack will be back in just a moment, but first, here is my good friend, L.A. Speed Riggs. That says it. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. The program's ratings peaked in January with 25.9. More than 8 million American households were tuning in to hear the contest winners. This episode was so poignant, so absurd, that during the closing commercial, even the normally unflappable tobacco auctioneer, Lee Aubrey Speed Riggs, momentarily lost composure during the show close. If Jack Benny and his show had been slumping, the slump was surely over. So 
firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. In the February 7, 1946 issue of Radio Daily Magazine, a notice appeared that Jack Benny had notified the Quiz Kids, stars of their own self-titled radio program, that he was ailing. He asked that they postpone their West Coast trip to guest star on his program until March. Jack Benny was heading to Palm Springs to recuperate. Are you new to old-time radio? A hardcore fan? Curious, but don't know where to start? Try the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to the great horror, crime, and suspense shows from the golden age of radio, including tales from Suspense, Lights Out, Quiet Please, The Shadow, and more. Each episode features a classic or maybe not-so-classic story from the old-time radio vault, complete with historical notes and trivia. At the end of each podcast, your mysterious old hosts, Tim, Joshua, and Eric, discuss the merits of the story and decide whether or not it stands the test of time, balancing insight and humor to make you think harder about what made these old shows so great, even when they aren't so great. The Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society is available everywhere you get your podcasts, as long as you get your podcast from iTunes or Podbean. For more information about the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, or to download episodes directly, visit ghoulishdelights.com. And now back to Breaking Walls. Palm Springs was the real or fictional setting for a number of Jack Benny shows each year. That's right. In the old radio days, we used to go down two or three times a year. Mm Mm-hmm. And we'd do a show from Palm Springs that related to Palm Springs, or the trip to Palm Springs. But it all had something to do with Palm Springs. The most memorable ones for Jack Benny radio fans is a show he would do first or second week in December from Palm Springs, and it was the Christmas shopping show. Oh, yeah. And Jack would go into the department store, (laughs) and he'd be trying to buy gifts for all the members of the cast, but the whole thing revolved around a gift for Don Wilson. Shoelaces. Shoelaces. <laughs> the generous man. <laughs> <laughs> or golf tees. <laughs> it could be. Golf tees or uh, cufflinks. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're broadcasting from Palm Springs, California. Palm Springs, the garden spot of the desert where the star of our show went for a cold and caught one. And here he is, Jack... Achoo! Gesundheit Benny! Thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, I wish you wouldn't give a false impression about the climate in Palm Springs. It just so happens that I was sitting in the sun and it was so hot... I caught this cold fanning myself with a Florida newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) The Benny Cass spent the next month in Palm Springs, California. They broadcast from the Plaza Theater, and Rochester was briefly lost at sea. Captain O'Benny also made his return in a skit called Murder at Lone Palm. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this is American Brotherhood Week. Brotherhood. There's much more to it than the word itself implies. Many of us feel that we are practicing it if we have consideration and respect for our immediate circle of friends. Well, that's not enough. 
we should have it for all people everywhere. The color of a man's skin and the church he goes to is a mighty poor yardstick to use in measuring his character. And to have a contempt for an entire race because of color or creed is unthinkable. If you want to know how it feels, think back to when the Germans and the Japanese thought themselves superior races and said that all Americans were decadent, criminal, and stupid. Our anger and indignation flared at the thought of Americans being called decadent, criminal, and stupid. And yet, if we tolerate racial and religious discrimination, we are. I think I saw brotherhood at its best when I was overseas during the war. When men are fighting for their lives and the lives of their fellows, racial and religious issues are relegated to their proper place of unimportance. I never heard a wounded man complain about being carried back to a field hospital by a Negro or ask whether the blood plasma he was getting was Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish. You know, a bullet is a very democratic thing. So let's remember and perpetuate these battlefield lessons and carry them through our lives to make a better world. There is a verse in the song, America the Beautiful, that should mean a lot to all of us. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. And crown thy good with brotherhood. That is our heritage. Let's live up to it. Did you start out to be a singer first or an actor first? I started out as a singer. I was the new singer on the show replacing Kenny Baker. That's why the fact that they brought in Verna Felton to play the part of my mother, who was the buffer between myself and Jack Benny, because I was so inexperienced. Remember, I was fresh out of college. I'd never been in show business. I'd loved singing, been a singer in college in the Glee Club, and I had appeared on a, several radio shows in New York City, where I was born and raised, been on the Larry Clinton Saturday Night Campus show three times. Jack Benny's most famous Irish tenor, Dennis Day, was born on May 21st, 1916, and raised in the Throg's Neck section of the Bronx, New York City, the second of five children born to Irish immigrants, Patrick and Mary McNulty. They graduated from Catholic Preparatory Seminary in New York City and attended Manhattan College in the Bronx, where he sang in the Glee Club. Eventually, he made his way to radio. You had to have something that he could magnify. In other words, when after Kenny Baker left, we couldn't find a singer. Benny, he always wanted a tenor. That's what Benny wanted to fit in there. So we finally saw this picture. We went into the Bronx, and McNulty is his real name. And I went over, and uh, we had I had dinner over at his house. And his old man, we call him Tiptoes McNulty. <laughs> he was rushing the can, you know, Schaefer's beer. 
And at the first rehearsal, Jack looked over and he said, Dennis, and Dennis said, yes, please. Well, that was it. That was, he, see, he had to find something that he could magnify. I had taken air checks of the songs I had sung on that show. And I happened to, after Kenny Baker left the Benny show, somebody suggested I send it over to Jack's agent. By good fortune, God bless her, Mary Livingston happened to hear my record. She liked it. She brought it to Jack, and she persuaded him to audition me. After the audition was over, Jack said, well, that sounds pretty good. But, uh, we'll let you know. And about two or three days later, I got a round-trip ticket to go out to California on the Golden State Limited on the train, the Freddie Laker of the trains, you know, no mm -hmm. frills, no nothing. And I got out here and I auditioned for his writers and producer. After that, I was told to wait around for a while because Jack was going up to the uh, World's Fair in San Francisco on Treasure Island. Oh, yes. And I did that. I waited around. They gave me no money, mind you told me to wait around. I had to send home to my mother and dad for some money. This is your real mom, not Verna Feldman. That's right. <laughs> and then when I, uh, after he got back, I got a call from him to come down to his office. And it was at that meeting that I knew that I was going to be the new singer on his radio program. And, of course, it wasn't when I signed the contract, mind you, but when he took back the other half of the train ticket. Hmm. And that was true. Well, that's great. <laughs> In fact, the other half, well, the office did, you know. And uh, But I stayed with him all those years. Dennis Day made his debut on the October 8th, 1939 broadcast. It was actually a five-year contract, but I had to make good in two weeks. And if I didn't, he had the option to drop me. Then the first year, he could pick me up every 13 weeks. He did, and I stayed with him, as I say, up until... Uh, well, I stayed about four years, and then I went in the Navy during World War II. That's when they had Larry Stevens. That's right. He had Larry Stevens. And after I got out, I went back with Jack, and I had my own radio program at that time, The Day in the Life of Dennis Day. During World War II, Day enlisted in the Navy. He was replaced by Larry Stevens on the show beginning in 1944. He made his return on the St. Patrick's Day episode, March 17, 1946. Ladies and gentlemen, today, March 17th, is St. Patrick's Day. As you all know, St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland. So today, we bring you a man who was run out of Waukegan, Jack Benny. You said man there, anyway. Thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking. And, Don, for your information, I wasn't run out of Waukegan. It was merely a request by the city fathers and mine. <laughs> and being a sharp guy, I took the hint and two shirts and left. Well, let's not talk about me. After all, this is St. Benny's, I mean, St. Patrick's Day. That's why I'm wearing this shamrock in my lapel. Shamrock? Yes. That's a moth that took a bite out of that $12 suit and turned green. Hey, right, don't be funny. This is a very good suit. Taste it. I mean, feel it. Anyway, why aren't you wearing something green today? I am wearing something green. See? Oh, yes, yes. What is it? It's that gold bracelet you gave me for Christmas. <laughs> Mary, that's an old joke. All I know is I polish my other bracelets. This one, the gardener takes care of. Well, that's appreciation for after all, Mary. It wasn't easy to get that bracelet. I spent over three hours at that claw machine. And now, ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> good, I didn't know it was going to be that good. I'm going to say that. 
Say, surprise Jackson. What? You're talking about St. Patrick's Day. Did I ever tell you the one about that friend of mine who got an Irish car? An Irish car? Yeah, every time you blow the horn, it plays Ireland must be heaven because my motor came from there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Harris, you're the Barry Fitzgerald of the Bobby Sox. <laughs> Pull out your garters and get out of here, will you? Put on your garters, right? He always tries to run hey, one... Jack, j- what? Jack, uh, since this is St. Patrick's Day, uh, don't you think we ought to do this a This program is starting out like we had no rehearsals at all. <laughs> and you want to know something? We did it. <laughs> Everybody walks in any time they want. <laughs> hey, Jackson, they holler. What is it? What, what is well, it? Well, Jack, this being St. Patrick's Day, don't you think we ought to do a little play for our Irish listeners? Well, we're doing better than that, Don. Tonight, for the first time since his release from the Navy, Dennis Day, the smiling Irish songbird, will be back with us. Oh, so the kid's coming back, huh, Jackson? Yep. Gosh, Jack, Dennis has been gone for two years. I'll bet the Navy has changed him a lot. I'll bet it has, too. Anyway, he ought to be here by now. I think I'll call his house and see what's keeping him. Say, Mabel, what is it, Gatesville? <laughs> Mr. Benny's line is flashing. Yeah, I wonder what Bloomer Girl wants now. <laughs> I'll find out. Hello, Mr. Benny. Huh? Dennis Day? What's his number? Okay, I'll call you back when I get him. Say, Mabel, did you hear Mr. Benny's program last week? Yeah, Ray Malin was on it. Gosh, he's wonderful, even if he is the lost weekend. <laughs> Listen, Mabel, if you think Milan is the lost weekend, you should have a date with Benny. <laughs> Those are my sentiments exactly. You want to know something, Gertrude? What? The contest has been over for six weeks and I still can't stand them. <laughs> yeah. You know, Mabel, two weeks ago he asked me to go to the Academy Award ceremonies, but I had another date. Gee, Gertrude, how come Mr. Benny always asked you to all those swanky affairs? Well, why shouldn't he? After all, my mother gave him the best years of her life. <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't mind going out on a date with Mr. Benny, but he's a sneaky type. <laughs> sneaky? Yeah, he's the kind who lures an unsuspecting girl into his car, drives her out to a dark spot, pretends he's out of gear, stops the car, and then spends the next two hours talking about his picture. (laughs) It's enough to discourage a person, believe me. (laughs) I'll say. You know, Mabel, I got a confession to make. Once I let Mr. Benny kiss me. Why, go to gear shift. <laughs> Say, uh, tell me, Gertrude, what are his kisses like? Well, it's like when you're blowing bubble gum and the bubble collapses against your face. <laughs> uh, well, between you and me, I'd rather have the gum. <laughs> yeah. Dennis Day's number doesn't answer. I better tell Blue Eyes about it. Hello? Oh, we'll try him again later, Gertrude. Goodbye. Oh, say, Gertrude, uh, what are you doing tonight? Tomorrow night? Tuesday night? Wednesday night? Thursday night? Christmas Eve? Oh, you're... You're going to visit your mother. 
Well, don't be surprised when you walk in, sister. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, <laughs> hey, Phil, you know, this is a battery day. Why don't you do something for the occasion? Something Irish? I did. I put a harp in my band. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You got a girl playing it. See, you know, her fingers must get callous and sore plucking on all those strings. Well, it's her own fault, Jackson. She forgot the bow, so let her do the best she can. <laughs> He's our orchestra leader for ten years now. <laughs> Phil, you don't use it. Come in. I beg your pardon, but hello again. Dennis! Dennis! Well, Dennis. Dennis. Kid, welcome back. Gee, it's good to see you. Gosh, Mary, doesn't he look wonderful? Oh, he sure does. Oh, boy, I never expected this. Are you going to kiss me too, Miss Livingston? <laughs> Why, certainly, Dennis. Doggone, Dennis, I can't get over. You look so mature. You've changed so. Well, sure he's changed, Jackson. This kid's been in the Navy for two years. He's grown up. Yeah, huh? <laughs> hmm. About yourself. Did you enjoy your two years in the Navy? I sure did, Miss Livingston. The Navy's wonderful. I went all over the South Pacific and I saw plenty. <laughs> I imagine you did, kid. Say, I, I bet you had a lot of fun, too. Say, Dennis. Dennis, I've been wanting to ask you something. Uh, tell me, kid, uh, how about those waves? That's what made me seasick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah growing up. up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Dennis, I was all over the South Pacific, too, and I ran into some pretty rough seas. In fact, once I was tossed overboard. Oh, I was tossed overboard lots of times. You were? Yeah, but the captain made the fellows cut it out. <laughs> Dennis, the boys kept throwing you overboard. That's terrible. Oh, it wasn't so bad. The Japs kept throwing me back. <laughs> he was a pickle in the middle. Yeah. Say, Dennis, when you first joined the Navy, how did they know how to classify you? I mean, how did they know what rank to give you? Oh, that was easy, Miss Livingston. First, I had to fill out a lot of forms, answer a lot of questions, and then for two days, they gave me a written test. For two days? That must have been quite a test. And after it was all over, they made me an ensign. An ensign? An ensign? Yeah. I wonder what they'd have made me if I'd have passed. Maybe it's just as well you didn't. We won the war this way. <laughs> well, come on, Dennis. We all want to hear a song. What's it going to be? Well, since today is St. Patrick's Day, I thought I'd sing Danny Boy. That's well. Go sure. Go right ahead. Danny Boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling From Glen to Glen and down the mountainside The summer's gone In many cases, the show would get well underway before he would even make an appearance That's true, yeah. That's very true. And then he had a great facility of mentioning something. I wonder where I put that book or something mm-hmm. like that or where Dennis would be or whatever's going to happen. And all of a sudden, when we were practically to the end of the show, that would come in in another roundabout way (laughs) that made a hilarious ending to the whole thing. He had that great facility. So he was really, in the early days when I was with Jack, he used to work with the writers on all the Mm -hmm. ideas and the dialogue and everything else. And then 
When we'd come in to read, usually on a Wednesday or a Thursday, we'd have our first reading. And after the reading was over, we'd leave and go home. And then they would edit it and tighten it up. And my gosh, every time, that would be 200% better once they worked it mm -hmm. over. And Jack would work. He says, I don't like this. I don't like this. We've got to replace this. Or bring in, you know, new dialogue or let's keep this. But he was a great editor of scripts. This is one of the great sense of comedy that the man had. Not only was uh, an editor, but what a timer, a master timer. He knew how long to milk a laugh and when to stop when it, he had enough or the public had enough. For the remainder of the season, Jack Benny Cass would be reunited in its classic 1940s incarnation. It was also the last season before Phil Harris took over the Fitch bandwagon radio program with his wife, Alice Fay. Because the program aired immediately after Jack's, Phil could generally only take part in the first half of Jack's show before rushing over to broadcast his own show. Beginning that October, Dennis Day would also get his own show on NBC. By Dennis Day. And now. Say, Mr. Benny, I meant to ask you, how's Mr. Allen? Who? Fred Allen. Well, kid, it was nice seeing you again. <laughs> no, no, Phil. In fact, I'm glad he brought it up. Dennis, I'm happy to tell you that Fred Allen has the same old program, the same old joke, the same oh, old. Oh, wait a minute, Jack. That's not fair. I've heard all of Fred's programs, and they've been very funny. Yeah, but Mary, I wouldn't mind if his joke just laid there. But they crawl out of the radio and stain your rugs. <laughs> Some program. That just shows what you know, Jackson. I think the funniest thing in radio is Alan's Alley. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah. I think so, too. Oh, you do, eh? I think so, too. Oh, you do, eh? I think Mr. Benny is much funnier than Mr. Allen. I think so, too. <laughs> oh, you do, eh? The 1945-46 Benny season featured numerous guest stars, often spoofing recent film roles on Benny's show. In October, Ingrid Bergman and Benny teamed up to spoof her recent psychological thriller, Gaslight. Charles, what are you staring at? That picture. That picture on the wall. Ingrid, why did you turn it around? No, 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 you're mistaken. I did not turn the picture around. Then why has Whistler's mother got the rocking chair on her head? <laughs> why? No, oh, perhaps she's rearranging the room. Ingrid, I don't know what to do with you. Today you turned the picture. Yesterday you lost the brooch. You cannot be trusted with jewelry. No, but Charles... Give me that emerald ring you are wearing. No. 
Come, take it off your finger. No, 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 Charles, not the emerald ring. It was the first gift you ever gave me back in those happy, carefree days in Naples. Uh... Oh, no, no, anything but the emerald ring. It holds so many tender memories for me, memories of days gone by when, when you loved me as I still love you. Uh... Well, what, well, what did you say, darling? Uh... Charles, you... You must stop drinking that free two beer. When the cast got back from Palm Springs in March, Ray Milland teamed up with Jack to spoof Lost Weekend. In the alcoholic ward, the duo runs into a patient who thinks he's Napoleon. The patient is voiced by writer George Balzer. Frank Nelson's there, too. Pull up that manhole cover. Now I'm comfy. <laughs> they can't keep me in here. I'm Napoleon. <laughs> they can't keep me in here. I'm Napoleon. Well, get on my back. I'm your horse. <laughs> Ray. Ray, where are we? I don't know. Best ask that man in a white coat. Oh, yes. Say, mister. Yes. <laughs> Where are we? You're in the alcoholic ward. Alcoholic ward? I want to get out of here. Let me out. Yes, let us out of here. Oh, you don't want to leave until you've seen the floor show. And Peter Laurie guests in a spoof of a man sentenced to death in the electric chair called I Stand Condemned. A match? I'm sorry, I don't have one, but I'll let you use my cigarette lighter. Thank you, you're very kind. Hey, you, come back with that lighter. Give me that. All right, all right. Here's your lighter. I thought you just wanted to light a cigarette. I do, but my cigarette is home. <laughs> oh, yeah? Then why were you running toward the railroad station? My home is in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh? Yes. I married a smudge pot. <laughs> smudge pot? Now, wait a minute. You were trying to steal my cigarette lighter. No, I wasn't. As a matter of fact, I'd like to buy it. I'll give you $20,000 for it. $20,000? Well, I don't want to take advantage of this. I'll tell you what. I'll throw in an extra flint. <laughs> On April 7th, Van Johnson appeared in an absurd soap opera spoof called Weekend at Acme Plaza. What? Oh, forgive me. When I'm excited, I, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but I do know that I, I want to marry you. Say that you'll be mine. I'm sorry, but I'll have to think it over. Think it over, think it over. That's what they all say. What's wrong with me? Why can't I get a girl? Why can't I... Uh, pardon me, operator. Uh, would you please ring Miss Lana Turner's room? Lana Turner? Yes, sir. Uh, take it on phone number three, please. Thank you. Hello, Lana? This is Van Jackson. <laughs> Yes, yes, I know my voice sounds like honey dripping into your ear, but you always have to keep telling me that. What? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't take you out. I know I promised you this afternoon, but I can't make it. Oh, now, Lana, don't do that. What? Lana, put down that gun. You will get over it. (laughs) 
I don't care if it is a water pistol, you'll drown yourself. <laughs> well, all right, call me next week and stop sending me orchids. My room is full of them. Goodbye. Thank you, operator. Imagine turning down a date with Lana Turner. Who is he? Uh, that's Van Jackson, the glamour boy. Gosh, I wish I could be like that. Well, you can't accomplish it overnight. He's been working on it for over 50 years. <laughs> well, do you think it might help me if I went over and talked to him? Sure. What have you got to lose? Uh, I beg your pardon, Mr. Jackson. Do you mind if I ask a favor of you? Why, no, no, no. Go right ahead. Well, I was standing over there by the switchboard, and I heard you talking to Lana Turner. Oh, good, good. I thought maybe I wasn't talking loud enough. <laughs> The Colemans were back on the April 14th episode. Jack plans on having a serious concert violin tour during the summer holiday. Ronald Coleman is at home trying to rehearse, but is disturbed by Jack practicing the violin. The episode also gave the audience Benny's violin teacher, Professor LeBlanc. Do not make it too legato, grip your bow and play staccato. Softly like a birdie chirping, you sound like a horse that's burping. <laughs> that's enough, Monsieur Benny. Now, try intermezzo again. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, 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 Monsieur Benny. What? Please, a violin is a delicate instrument. It has a heart. It has a soul. You have already broken its heart. Have pity on its soul. I see. You see, you see, you see. Please, Professor, control yourself. Would you like a glass of water? Yes. Put a little cyanide in it. Not till we finish the lesson. All right, all right. Take the exercises once more. Yes, sir. Play it softly, play it tender. Where can I go to surrender? <laughs> Make the notes a smoother mixture. This is worse than your last picture. <laughs> My poor head is getting woozy. Onesie, twosie, I hate youzie. <laughs> all, all right, Mr. Benny, all right. Now try intermezzo once more. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, Professor. Mr. Benny, the violin has only four strings. Your left hand has only five fingers. How can just the nine of you make so many mistakes? <laughs> I'll try it again. Please, and this time, just follow these simple instructions. Relax, be calm, and slide the bow delicately over the strings. Is that all? That's all. Now, commence. One, two... You see, it sounds better already. They're fixing the street. I'll try it again. No, no, no. Let's call it a day. The lesson she has done. Tut, tut, Professor. Look at the clock. The lesson still has 14 seconds to go. 14 seconds. That's right. And then you will give me back my pants. <laughs> yes, sir. Very well. Commence. He was the catalyst. He was still, no matter what uh, they may say, 
Oh, did you hear uh, Phil Harris on the Jack Benny show? Did you hear Don Wilson or Rochester or Dennis Day or Mary Livingston or Mel Blank or Frank Nelson? Any of the people. Did you hear them on the Jack Benny show? He was the one who was the catalyst to move the whole show, and it was still, he was the star of the show. week after the Coleman's appearance, the Lucky Strike program was broadcast from the USS Saratoga aircraft carrier in San Francisco. The Saratoga was one of three pre-World War II U.S. fleet aircraft carriers to serve throughout World War II. It was torpedoed on multiple occasions and saw action from Wake Island through to Iwo Jima. The show was a farewell to the Saratoga. She was leaving four days later for Operation Crossroads. Its final mission was as a target for bomb tests on the Bikini Atoll. That season, the Lucky Strike program broadcast episodes for servicemen and women from Birmingham Hospital, from the Army base at March Field, and aboard the Saratoga. The cast would end the season with a trip to New York. While on the East Coast, the program originated from New York's ABC 58th Street Theater, the last two episodes featured two big guest stars. On May 19th, Fred Allen appeared to ask Benny to guest star in Allen's May 26th program. I wonder who that can be. Come in! Hello, Rochester. Is Mr. Benny in? Well, Mr. Allen! Mr. Allen, Mr. Benny's taking a bath. He'll be out in a few minutes. Well, I'll wait for him. How is Mr. Benny feeling, I hope? Pretty good. <laughs> Benny would indeed appear on Allen's next program in a skit called King for a Day. On the May 26, 1946 season finale, Ed Sullivan, the friend that gave Benny his first opportunity in radio 14 years earlier, appeared to present Jack with the Ed Sullivan Award from Modern Screen Magazine. Of course, in a fitting moment of breaking character, Jack shares some of the people he was thankful for. And now, Phil, before I kiss each one of you goodbye, I want to... Come in. Well, hello, Jack. Hello, Ed. Look, kids, it's Ed Sullivan. Ed, it, it was nice of you to drop in on my last program. You know the gang, Mary, Don, Dennis, and Phil. Hello, Ed. Hello, Ed. Nice to see you. Yes, Jack, I've met them all except Phil. Yeah, we ain't never had the pleasure. Well, I'll remedy that. Phil, I'd like you to meet Ed Sullivan. Ed is the famous columnist. Well, hello, Ed. When'd you leave Moscow? I said columnist. <laughs> my goodness, Phil. Uh, tell me, Ed... Ed, what's the, uh, him I'm going to have back next year? <laughs> Ed, what's the uh, occasion for this visit? Well, Jack, I came over to present you with an award. An award for me? Mm-hmm, but first I'd like to get a little interview. See, our readers would like to know exactly what goes on behind the scenes in a radio show. 
You know, who are the people behind the performance? Well, let's see. First, I must give credit to my writers. John Tackerberry, Milt Josephsberg, George Balzer, and Sam Penn. I think they're four of the smartest, cleverest, funniest, and most intelligent writers in the business. Well, Jack, it's very nice of you to say that about your boys. They wrote the line. He had to say it. <laughs> now, but Ed, you can take my word for it. They're very clever. Oh, I know that, Jack, and I've heard a lot about them. Jack, isn't it true that Sam Perrin and George Bowles are about the Broadway show, Are You With It? Yes, yes, they did that with my permission. And didn't John Tackerberry write that song, Pickle in the Middle? Yes, yes, he did that with my permission. And isn't your other writer, Mill Josephberg, expecting a baby soon? Yes, he... Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> if Hilda is listening, we hope she feels all right. Well, now, Jack, who are some of the other people who are important to your program? Well, there's my special assignment man, Hilliard Marks, producer Bob Ballin, musical director Malin Merrick, secretary Jane Tucker and Bert Scott, and last but not least, Herman McShaughnessy. Herman McShaughnessy? What does he do? He explains Dick Tracy to Phil Harris. Oh. <laughs> now, on the acting... On the acting side of the ledger, we have Mel Blanc, who plays a part of my French violin teacher, also my parent. Artie Auerbach, the hot dog salesman. Sarah Berner and B. Benadera, who play the telephone operators. Dick Lane, who plays the part of Steve Bradley, my press agent. Janine Roos, who played Phil Harris's little daughter. Frank Nelson, who always pops up on the show, looks at me and says, Yes? Joe Kearns, the keeper of my vault. Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman, who really own this program, but let me guest star on it during the weeks they're off. My NBC engineers, George Foster and Charlie Buck. My sound men, Floyd Caton and Par Parker Cornell. And finally, Wilbur Klingenfield. Wilbur Klingenfield? He explains Dick Tracy to Herman McShaughnessy. <laughs> well, Ed, I guess that takes care of them all. Unless you want to mention the janitor who sweeps up after the show. No, no, he left me and is now writing for Fred Allen. <laughs> Benny's last radio appearance during the 1945-46 season was later that evening on the Fred Allen Show, where he'd win another award in that skit called King for a Day. All right. Who was the sixth president of the United States? John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams is correct. And Mr. Myron Proudfoot is king for a day. Folks, here he is, King Proudfoot. Well, Your Majesty, how do you feel? Never mind how I feel. What do I get? Well, first... First, for His Majesty from Schnook Sport Nook, a genuine no-splash beaverboard canoe paddle. Here a canoe paddle? Oh, boy! And with the compliments of Tiffany's, this chromium pitchfork. For he, a four-pronger, and it's all mine. And from Hemingway's hardware store, 200 pounds of self-hardening putty for King for a day. Just what I need. Just what I need. This is just the beginning, King. King, you are over 35. By two years. Fine. That's Jumbo Carter, Uncle Jim, for his majesty. He is over... Epi, Epi, that's yipe, backward. <laughs> 
not hear the piston rod from a genuine Baldwin locomotive for His Majesty the King. Paul <laughs> locomotive. And here from Melody Lane Music Shop, this case of 2,000 soybean mandolin picks. These are the mandolins. I just keep pinching myself to believe it. Immediately after this program, Your Majesty will be guest of honor at a banquet at Hamburger Heaven. Tomorrow morning, through the courtesy of the sanitation department, you will be guest conductor on the 11-5 garbage run through the Bronx. <laughs> at night, in your ermine robe, you will be whisked by bicycle to Orange, New Jersey, where you will be the judge in a chicken cleaning contest. <laughs> I'm king for a day! That's not all. Therefore? Yes, we're going to start right now to make you look like a king. Sam of Sam's Super Shoe Shine Stand is here to brush your shoes. All right, Sam. Sam, watch out for the button. Next, the president of the Busy Bee Hat Cleaners is here to block your hat. Take the king's hat, Mr. Bumble. And change the newspaper in the hat bag. Your suit is a little baggy, king. Boys, take his majesty's coat off. Wait, wait. On our stage, we have a Hoffman pressing machine. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. An expert operating the Hoffman pressing machine will press your trousers. Now, wait a For 15 years, I've been waiting to catch you like Alan, this. you haven't seen the end of me. It won't be long now. I want my pay. Well, if you don't know what day today is... Today is the day to get out the tall glasses. The iced tea season is here. Time to enjoy iced tender leaf tea, one of summer's main attractions. Yes, iced tea is raised to its ultimate best by the use of this richer blend. In fact, the iced tea season has played a big part in making tender leaf tea so famous for flavor. Flavor means more. It's more important through the summer months. So everybody sets out to get all the flavor going, and that leads straight to tender leaf tea for finer flavor and more art. In spite of melting ice, the richer goodness of tender leaf tea persists. The last swallow of the grass is still delicious, still flavorful tender leaf tea. As summer this comes is down, NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Perhaps the award was only for May 26, 1946. But if you asked anyone who knew Jack Benny, he was king for a lifetime. And if we look forward for a moment, when Jack Benny's lifetime ended exactly 28 years and 7 months later, it was Bob Hope who eulogized him, publicly sharing what the entire world was privately thinking. When Benny Kabelski was born... Who in their wildest dreams would imagine that 80 years later, at the advent of his passing, every television program, every radio show would stop, and that every magazine and newspaper would headline it on their front pages. The millions of people who had never met him, who had only seen him or heard him, would feel the pain of a very personal loss. For a man who was the undisputed master of comedy timing, you'd have to say that this was the only time when Jack Benny's timing was all wrong. He left us much too soon. He was stingy to the end. He only gave us 80 years and it wasn't enough. Jack Benny long ago ceased to be merely a personality and became an institution. If there's a Mount Rushmore for humanitarians, that first stone face might easily resemble him. And if stone could talk, it would say, well... 
Perhaps what made Jack Benny such a great laugh maker was that he himself loved to laugh. He was the greatest audience a comedian could ever want. George Burns will attest to that. And all of us would play jokes on him just to break him up and hear him laugh. I know it might sound a little corny, but there'll be times from now on when the lightning will crackle with a special kind of sound or thunder will peal with a special roar. And I'll think to myself that Cantor or Fields or Fred Allen must have told Jack a joke. In his beautiful full lifetime, Jack succeeded gloriously. Jack found a great joy in the joy he brought to others. I cannot say it better than these words. His life was gentle and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to the, all the world, this was a man. God keep him, enjoy him. We did for 80 years. Of course, sometimes in order to look forward, we must first look back. That was I Hear Bluebird, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the 24th episode in our Western melodrama entitled Buck Benny Rides Again, or Strange Cargo. <laughs> the opening scene is the office of Sheriff Buck Benny in the thriving little cow town of East Moo, Texas. Curtain. Moosey. <laughs> Every day along about evening When the sunlight's beginning to fail I ride Next time on Breaking Walls, we spotlight the 1940s rise of big-budget adult Western radio dramas and find out how this genre gave birth to perhaps the greatest dramatic radio series of all time. And coyotes are making a whale. The reading material used in today's episode was Sunday Nights at 7 by Jack and Joan Benny. On the Air, the Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio by John Dunning. Network Radio Ratings 1932-53 to by Jim Ramsberg. As well as articles from Radio Life on January 27th and February 3rd. 1946. On the interview front, Jack Benny, Ezra Stone, Kate Smith, Don Wilson, Elliot Lewis, Phil Harris, Frank Nelson, and Dennis Day were with Chuck Shaden. Chuck's interviews from an over 39-year career can be listened to for free at speakingofradio.com. And thank you, Chuck. Vincent Price and Mel Blank were with Dick Bertel and Ed Corcoran for WTIC's The Golden Age of Radio. The full interviews can be heard at goldenage-wtic.org. Dennis Day was also with John Dunning for his 1980-71 KNUS radio program from Denver. Some of his interviews can be found at otrrlibrary.org. And finally, Jack Benny, Dennis Day, Phil Harris... Frank Nelson, Don Wilson, and Mel Blanc were also with Jack Carney for his early 1980s comedy program. Much of this audio was originally taken from a 1972 PBS documentary on great radio comedians. And thank you, Goodman Danielson, for supplying me with the audio. Selected music featured in today's episode was Love and Bloom by Bing Crosby. It's been a long, long time by the Harry James Orchestra. Chickory Chick 
by Sammy Kay with Billy Williams and Nancy Norman. It Might As Well Be Spring by Larry Stevens, Danny Boy by Dennis Day, and Along the Navajo Trail by Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters. And coyotes are making a As always, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Fireside Mystery Theater, 12 Chimes It's Midnight, and the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Check them all out on iTunes or search for them on the interwebs. I'd also like to thank SpurVac officers Walden Hughes and John and Larry Gaspin. Listen to their shows on the Yesterday USA Radio Network at yesterdayusa.com. Breaking Walls Episode 89 will focus on the rise of big-budget radio western dramas in the 1940s. It will be available beginning March 1st, 2019 at thewallbreakers.com and everywhere you get a podcast. I'm also working very hard on Burning Gotham, our completely original audio drama series that will be set in antebellum New York City in the mid-1830s. It was a time of rising fortunes, exploding populations and poverty, dirty and clean water, and most importantly, fire. I'll have concrete subscription information and other news by the middle of March. The teaser trailer for this series can be listened to at thewallbreakers.com. In the meantime, if you haven't yet, give Breaking Walls a quick rating on whatever podcasting platform you listen. And if you got some spare change, you can become a Patreon supporter for as little as $1 per month by going to patreon.com slash thewallbreakers. So, until March 1st, 2019, my name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, episode number 88. I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. When over yonder hill the moon is climbing It always finds me wishing on a star Well, what do you know? It's morning already There's the dawning So silver and pale Like a silvery veil It's time to climb into my saddle and ride the Navajo Trail Ride the Navajo Trail